Welcome to the introduction of the podcast. The following podcast is a conversation recorded with Woody Welch, who is a photographer I found online through his YouTube channel, Earth Riparian. Um, I found his channel when I was looking into permaculture, which is basically the creation of ecosystems with the intention of sustainable food production. Um, a lot of the time, permaculture takes place on old, dried up um, farmland that's kind of just been beaten to death with poor farming practices. Uh, it's really interesting what the people who are into this kind of thing are doing and trying to do. I'll, I'll uh, let you know Woody talk about that. Um, anyway, Dylan and I stopped by and got a tour of his place while we were in Texas and um, we got to chat with him about his life and his experiences with permaculture. I'll put the links to Woody's channel, his pictures, um, like his photography stuff, and some uh, resources like books uh, mentioned in the description. Um, there's actually a documentary I'll put there too he, that he mentioned. I just watched the documentary and it's a pretty good uh, like visual companion to this podcast. So if you get through this podcast and um, you enjoy it, you're interested in it, uh, that documentary is definitely worth checking out. The guy, the host, kind of reminds me of Woody in a way. Um, and uh, it's really cool what these guys are talking about. Very... Uh, inspiring and hopeful i would say um anyway uh that's this podcast introduction let's get on to the actual podcast uh thanks for listening and i hope you enjoy because i want to talk about permaculture yeah but um before i ask you about the future of permaculture what do you know like what the history of the practice is yeah so bill mollison and who god bless his soul he died i think he passed away about two years ago now um, Bill Mullison and Holmgren, David Holmgren, coined the term. They're Australian. Of course they are. Everybody who does yeah. permaculture is in Australia, it seems Well, that's like. where it started. It makes yeah. sense. Um, they, you know, humans tend to act out of, they respond to cataclysm, right? Like mm -hmm. this. Like, we're going to respond to this snowmageddon here in Texas. Yeah. Got a lot of solutions for this. There's a lot of solutions, and then permaculture is one of the plays one of the biggest roles. If people would follow it, what do you mean solutions? Solutions to just being able to survive to climate stuff chaos like this? that we're that we've that we've that we're causing. I like that word better than change or warming. I like climate chaos. It's hard to call this global warming. Yeah, right. And for anybody, sure. to, for anybody, like, when's the global I mean, how many coming? people are going to be in, in Texas right now going, where's that? We love some global warming right now. Like, give me a, like a that, again, so myopic, low vibrating, eating bad food. Like, humans can't think properly because 80% of the food at HEB, which is the only grocery store open right now, even if it's open, is shit. Yeah. It's tr it's air and sugar yeah. I can, and bleached I totally flour. Agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and corn, mostly corn, right? Like yeah. subsidized, grossly government subsidized corn that's been subsidized since Roosevelt tried to heal the land for the grasslands, the great prairies, which, yeah. So permaculture, 
Were you going to say something? Go ahead. No, no, you're good. Per- permaculture. Let's go. Let's go back to permaculture. David Holmgren, uh, Bill Mollison founded it. Bill Mollison wrote a book called the Permaculture Design Manual. It's a textbook that is a textbook you'll never find used because people don't sell them. <laughs> they just keep them. You would never sell this book. It is a survival manual. Huh. And it's a full-on college textbook in the shape and form, inch and a half thick textbook, too heavy to carry in a backpack with three books like they used to do before iPads. and mm-hmm. Right? So that type of textbook, and it's the best textbook I ever had in my whole life. It's $100. I recommend anybody in the world that has land or has opportunity to build a community garden or to design a resilient landscape of any sort grow food food forest anything by the permaculture design manual wow so uh i think in one of your videos i think it was the the like road trip podcast that you did yeah um i think you talked about you got your permaculture design certificate something like that oh yeah there it is yeah um describe it to the viewers Sam? It's a, a certificate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looks like a certificate. It's framed it's on the his, wall. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, this is to certify that Woody Welch has completed a 72-hour course in permaculture design in 2014. June 2 through 15. June 2nd through 15th, 2014. So well, it was my, that was my birthday. Like Two-week-long That course. week, and it was, it was two of the best weeks of my life. Um, anybody, a lot of people are doing it online now, but man, to really experience a tribal permaculture classroom, you should try to find, if you're interested, a two week intensive course and go submerge yourself in it. How expensive was it? It's like 800 bucks. Okay. It's a pretty affordable for two full weeks. And that would include the food and stuff, you know? And so you can do them anywhere around the world they might be cheaper in Costa Rica. They might be, you know. Like Where did you do it? In Austin. Austin Permaculture oh, okay. Guild. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Kirby Fry, who's my, one of my main mentors. And that's a name that signed the he's, certificate. He's on the certificate, yeah. Um, Carolyn Riley Carberry's on there. She's amazing. And um, who else is on there? It was, uh, uh, Taylor Monroe. Ta- yeah, Taylor Monroe. She actually introduced me to, she's still really involved in the Austin Permaculture Guild. Uh, and Carolyn Riley Carberry, she owns a whole life learning center in South Austin, which is where we took the, uh, it's actually, uh, kind of Montessori type, I forget what they call it. It's a, it's an ed- a really high end education. Like they evaluate every student underclass, like uh, elementary and middle and high school. I think they go all through 12th grade. Um, they evaluate every student and if this student learns, outdoors then the kid goes outdoors every day okay there's no classroom there's no they but they evaluate every student and they put you know they find what their skill sets are what their god-given abilities are and then they design and script an education for that child so whole life learning center and and uh carolyn's uh, she's amazing her and her husband are running that place those guys are off the charts amazing what they're doing so special the the pandemics hurt their their you know their school a little bit, but they are still teaching permaculture classes there as well. Like that's off season in the summer, hmm. you know, uh, when they're not teaching school. Um, they obviously use permaculture as part of their curriculum for their for their their younger students. Um, 
And I even think that some of their younger students, you know, go to the summer schools and high school, the permaculture classes and graduate with a permaculture design certification as well as a high school diploma. You know, and it, it's a great way to get your feet in the ground in regenerative agriculture, mm-hmm. um, renewable energy, anything, you know, that's um, that is healing you know the healing sciences if you will for our our earth systems Mm. that's really what it's all about and uh, i highly recommend anybody of any age like we've had people you know i had kelly mcdowell who who manages the wildlife areas for the federal government along the texas coast is good good buddy of mine he took it and he's you know he's what is kelly's probably 58 years old i think when he took it you know, at the end of his career for the farm, he was blown away. He loved it. He was mm. two week intensive, or I'm sorry, it was a weekends, eight weekends, I think is what we did on that oh, one. Okay. So there's different ways to, you know, and that, and of course people that have day jobs like the weekend courses, they yeah. can't do a two week intensive, you know, and I, just that my career and my, me being a, a, a photographer, freelancer and owning my own businesses mm. allows me to, you know, take time off to do stuff like that. So I, but the two week intensive is amazing. Uh, Kirby Fry were actually worked for Bill Mollison, mentored under him at Fossil Rim Ranch, which is a state park up in North Texas. And they did some some projects up there. Bill, I think the state hired Bill Mollison to, hmm. to do some projects back in, I guess it was 80s. I think Kirby was doing that, or maybe 90s. It was kind of, he was in the Peace Corps and then came back, I think, and did that. Um, but So he's one of my biggest teachers. He's He actually helped me. He's a, he's a carpenter too. So he helped me do a lot of the carpentry around hmm. here. He helped me build the, the solar port what I call the Tesla port um, and this room. He helped me do this room um, and some other projects. He's an excellent carpenter, but he's he's one of the hardest working human beings you'll ever meet. Um, he, he's a little bit of a curmudgeon like Bill Mollison was, like he doesn't have a lot of patience for, for people. He interestingly enough, interestingly enough doesn't believe in you know anthropogenic climate change, which I, I don't agree with him on that. I think we're obviously you know taking science 101 we take that much carbon out of the ground it's been stored there for millions of years we put it into the atmosphere something's going to happen you know we don't quite know what it is climate chaos is probably the result of it kirby like look kirby's like hey you know carbon's a building blocks of life like we Mm -hmm. need the carbon yeah we do he's like maybe warming's good maybe so for people in siberia and alaska and canada I mean, there may, there's people, people might thrive. Right. But it's not, it's not like the, uh, you know, it's not our place to make that decision though. Right. Well, I mean, we're, you know, as smart as we think we are as humans, we're all just trying to survive, man. We're trying to, you know, and people are trying to stay warm and, you know, because of the fossil fuel extraction, we, that's the reason why population's so high. You know, there's this, you know, we're not paying for the pollution. If we want to really be capitalists, we should be paying for the pollution. Capitalism would include the cost of the pollution and the price of you guys to get here today. Hmm. Y'all might not have come because gas would be ten dollars a gallon, <laughs> you know, or you would already have an electric car, you know, or we would figure out a different way. Or y'all would have done a bus, mm-hmm. or you would have walked, or whatever. Like we're yeah. we're, we're ingenious species. We'll figure these stuffs out. We'd be much more localized, our guard, our, which is probably where we should move yeah, I, towards. Yeah. You know, that's that seems like the systems. But it's, if capitalism are to work, then we need to pay for the pollution. Simple. Mm-hmm. Pay for the damn pollution. The consumers need to pay for the pollution. Carbon or not, toxins, 
heavy metals, all the all the stuff that we're pushing the cost off on right now to the healthcare industry and to other industries, that should be paid for at the tank, not when you go get your hospital bill. Right. That's not the way to account for this. Hmm. It's called true cost accounting. That's what I call it anyway. We pay for the true cost of the product, all the pollution, all of the polluting of the water, all that at the tank. Then the free market system would probably work. In order to get the price down, I'm sure companies would find ways of reducing pollution. That way the consumers don't have to pay for it, right? Or something along those lines. Or we shift to more sustainable energy yeah. sources. Uh, yeah, I think that's what you're I don't saying. Think, I don't think fossil fuels are going anywhere, obviously. It's the most, um, besides nuclear, it's the most you know, um, dense source of energy that we have. Mm. But, you know, the sun, it's... We're moving the, you know, look the solar panels and batteries. Solar panels met parity with the cost of building a natural gas fire power plant in 2016, I think it was. So the first contract, I think it was in Dubai, was awarded simply on cost per kilowatt. They they the government chose a solar array, commercial scale utility scale solar array instead of a natural gas fire power plant Just for the first was... time. And you're talking about a place that has all the fossil fuels they want, hmm. right? You're in Saudi, close to Saudi Arabia, Dubai, like they've got, they're in the Middle East. It's very easy to get cheap fossil fuels. But, so solar is coming down and we have this, the problem with it is it's intermittent. Well, obviously, so is fossil fuels. 80% of our energy grid here in Texas is on fossil fuels right now it's intermittent too it doesn't work during a snowstorm mm. <laughs> you know? like it falls apart yeah so that is also intermittent which is, is when you would want it to work right because that's when you would be like we shouldn't be using the solar panels well the problem with the texas grid right now is it's designed to work in heat yeah. it's designed to it's not designed to work in this system in the in this cold in the snow yeah it's just simply not it's designed for the the heat and it works great in the summertime except again we're not paying for the pollution we should be paying for the pollution for we know how natural gas fracking is polluting the water da, 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 like same old song and dance we know all this information we need to be paying for the pollution and then that's a level playing field then we don't need to subsidize anything we get subsidies out we get the government out of the situation and the consumers make the decision but you have to be paying the true costs of the products so is that the job of the government to tax heavily I mean, it'd be nice if they would regulate and not get bloated. And um, the, if yeah, everybody would play along and that. follow the rules. You know, if humans were good at heart, then the frackers wouldn't be polluting the water. <laughs> they, would be, well, they would be figuring, you know. Yeah, or it's, I don't know. I always feel like uh, it's easy to sort of uh, feel really, like, alienated from the people around you if you think of the people like you know people in government or people who are you know polluting as people who don't care but i think it's really just that they the people that they're thinking about are their family and yeah. people close to them right so because yeah, that's just what absolutely. we know right ever since mm-hmm. you know we were trying yeah, I mean, look everybody just, think just needs a damn hug you know yeah. seriously <laughs> i mean the oil workers in the field man i feel so bad for those guys they're, they're treated like shit they make ninety thousand dollars a year and they but man the you know the that is one of the 
most dangerous jobs in the world is working on an oil rig. Hmm. And they're alone and they don't have any girls and their prostitution's out of control in Midland, Odessa. You know, it's an ugly, ugly wild west, wildcatter place. And it's an ugly, dirty business. Like, have you ever seen the movie There Will Be Blood? Mm-mm. You watch that. It's about a wildcatter. It's about the original kind of wildcatter. It's a Daniel Day Lewis is in it, and it's it's fantastic. Mm. It's absolutely fantastic movie. One of the best movies ever made. And um, he won best actor for it that year. But it's it's about a West Texas wildcatter that loses it over money, you know, over success. And what does success mean? I mean, I, ultimately, I think we need to really define redefine success if we're going to make. Yeah. Well, I think. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I kind of feel like we are redefining success because especially with the age of the internet, um, you know, you just hear so much about people who have a lot of money just not being happy. happy. Yeah, it does. You hear, like, you hear that a lot. Most people know mm-hmm. that that's not a... Uh, yeah. Yeah, there has to be something else, right? I mean, I think uh, um, one of my favorite books... Uh, um, by um, Donald Miller called uh, Million Miles in a Thousand Million Miles in a Thousand Years Million Miles in a Thousand Years Donald Miller and he talks about you know a realization he had in his life and it kind of always sticks with me is that you know when you're when you're laying on your deathbed do you do you want to be looking back at your life and say wow I made a lot of money right I mean, who wants to do that? You know, like I, I get that you could say, okay, I took care of my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving them with something to, something to get started with. But hell, you could almost argue that's a disservice. Best thing that ever happened to me in my life was when my dad cut me off and I had to pay for my own college. Yeah. Best thing that ever happened to me. How, like, when you were growing up, um, what was your family's sort of, not specifically, but what was your family's like situation financially? Were you guys well off? We were. It was up and down. Um, he was my dad was his own uh, small businessman. Mm-hmm. We did anesthesia. He did preventive maintenance on anesthesia equipment, government contracts with VA hospitals, and it was crazy. Like I was a seventeen-year-old kid going in, you know, operating rooms by myself, doing these preventive maintenance checks on these anesthesia machines. My dad was not. You know, he went with me. I guess I went with him like five or ten times and then he was like okay you're trained you can go by yourself and i'm like uh i'm 17 years old and i'm like you know working in a hospital room dealing with Mm -hmm. people's lives with a machine that you know and so i had this heavy sense of you didn't screw up did you no you know i don't my dad wouldn't have done it if it was really simple sure it's it was all it's all based on pneumatics and it was before computer boards were even around so so the whole systems were so simple it was just really about making sure they weren't leaking air mm-hmm. of any kind. It's all air powered, all compressed air. So there was no, you know, all we did was like lube gaskets and stuff, but still there was this kind of like feeling on my back. Like I'm dealing, like if I messed and my dad did mess up one time and, and killed somebody, you know, he t- had this story that he crossed some pipes or something in the back of an anesthesia machine. I don't, I think it was true. I mean, he seemed like he was a good storyteller, but he seemed like he was pretty distraught over it, you know? Hmm. Um, and it was just kind of one of those mistakes, like humans make mistakes, human error. And 
he didn't get sued. He didn't, you know, the, I don't know whether the hospital covered for him or what, but so that story always kind of like hung over me. And so As he, you were in the room messing with the same machines. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I, I certainly made sure I didn't cross the wires. <laughs> like, you, like my dad's, I learned from my dad's mistakes, yeah. right? That's, that's a good thing for humans to do, I think. Um, so we were, you know, went from like not, not having Christmas, which was a big deal back then. We didn't, you know, we didn't have Christmas, but my dad still figured out a way and, you know, I wasn't supposed to get any gifts. And my brother mm. told me we weren't having any gifts. And, and then I woke up Christmas morning and we had gifts, mm. you know, like my dad figured it out mm. and that was a big deal. Like that stuck in my head. And my dad was a super hard worker, um, kind of a cunning man, not extremely intelligent, but smart, street smart, you know, and he had Napoleon complex. He was shorter than my brother and I was like five foot six. My brother and I were both six foot tall. So he was always had a problem with that. And, mm-hmm. you know, he pulled guns on people and traffic, you know, road rage and didn't ever point, but like would just threaten. And, you know, it was all, his name was Dick. Like he was certainly making up for, you know, something he didn't have either in his pants or in his past <laughs> one way or the other, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, I just wonder what, like, uh, I wonder what makes a difference between people who, um, not that it's a dichotomy, but between people who are generally more interested in making money and people who aren't as interested in making money. I wonder if it has something to do with growing up financially or, or not at all. And if it well, comes I, maybe it goes out. back to the way we define success, right? Like, I mean, if if you if ultimately you say, look, I've been in the advertising industry for you know twenty five years, so since mm-hmm. I graduated, really working on big advertising campaigns and stuff, and I've studied advertising quite a bit, and it's like, you know, what are humans really, truly, gutturally interested in? Sex, rock and roll, sure. right, and, and food. Subsistence, Mm -hmm. right? Like roof over your head and then comforts and luxuries. But ultimately the money leads to, ultimately the money leads to what? Sex. Food leads to sex. If you feed your wife, you're going to get laid. Mm. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just going back to animalistic instincts here, right? Like evolutionary, you know, why do people buy sexy cars? To get laid, yeah. (laughs) To get laid, you know, like to so to one up the other guy. So it's it's us posturing. It's two elks, you know, two bull elk mooses, you know, Mm. bull elks hitting each other on the head. So do you think, to some extent, the uh, like okay, so someone who starts to make money and you know is attractive and gets a wife, they're doing it to get laid, exactly. Yeah, so they get laid and then. um, and then they, they get married and then they're like kind of satisfied, but, um, or maybe not, but yeah, or maybe not. Or maybe they just feel like they have to keep up the, the same drive that they had beforehand. Same drive. What do you mean by that? Like the drive to get laid by making more money. And they just think they have to keep making more money. It's just too. a habit. Yeah. Yeah. The habit or like, you know, what else am I going to do now? Yeah. I would yeah. certainly, I mean, we're, we're creatures of habit. There's no doubt about that. Like we can't get that out of our, you know, and, and unfortunately, I think that that's getting worse. Is you know, we're supposed so we're supposed to be evolving, right? Like we're supposed to be getting better as humans. Well, but I think it's more society's evolving more so than 
Yeah, I think our food system as a whole, and including, you know, there's so much evidence to point to glyphosate, you know, getting rid of glyphosate, which is uh, in Roundup. It's in everything. Like, you go to the grocery store, and 80% of everything has Roundup in it. What is it? A pesticide. Monsanto. Oh, okay, okay. Which is now Bear, Bear bought Monsanto. They'll probably try to, you know, hide, you know, whatever, bury all the lawsuits in a hmm. in a closet somewhere just by shifting, shape-shifting company names or something. They've done that many times before. Who Killed the Electric Car was very much, you know, kind of a opposite of that. But, but um, the, you know, the glyphosate is literally they think like we're pretty much 98 percent sure that this is what's happening that it's cutting off the brain gut connection killing microbes microbes are electric right they're they have electric impulses in them as, as a colony just like as in tree roots right in yeah tree, they communicate and, and then tell they, your they're brain. they're the capacitors for communication yeah. for the trees the capacitors for the communication between our gut and so our you, brain so it's a human glyphosate Glyphosate. Glyphosate. I that's the way it's pronounced. Yeah. Okay. So that's cutting off our brain gut barrier and it's keeping us from, from becoming higher vibrating human beings, you know? Yeah. And, and I think you have to outthink it. Mm. It used to be instinct and now we literally have to, and it, and it takes a lot of energy because our brain is the most energy consumptive thing in our bodies. So, yeah. so you're having to outthink your brain, you know, your brain gut, connection that used to be instinctual mm-hmm. used to know what to eat mother yeah. nature used to provide it for you usually when you needed it as herbalists believe it's usually everything you need to heal is usually within you know a few acres few square right. but you have to go out and get it you have to look for which it is, you have to know what you're looking for yeah which is and a, you have to override the grand gut barrier because you don't you have that barrier now so you have to outthink. you don't your your gut's not talking to you anymore if, if what mm-hmm. they believe that glyphosate is a result of so you your instincts aren't doing it so now you have to use all this energy mm-hmm. which is carbohydrate heavy or pro- i think i think also uh i would think that that i don't know much about glyphosate or anything but i could see the same thing happening without even introducing a new chemical but you just have the like the radical choice and people you know and then just like synthetic smells and stuff like that that uh, just sort of can mess with you regardless of whether there's a, a new chemical at play. Because, right. uh, yeah, in nature, it would just be, you know, you you have so many foods that are, like, there, but whenever you're hungry for something, you have to know what you you need, and then you have to go get that, and that'll take a little bit because you're not going to store a lot of food. Right. right. So Yeah. Yeah, all that. I mean, it all plays a role. And, again, you, know, you go back to the creatures of habit, mm. you know, thing. Like, that stuff used to be habitual, we used to have to survive and go out and collect food and put food up. And those were the habits, you know, the root cellaring and the, yeah, but I mean, for what we've only been supposedly, you know, uh, working in an agricultural society for what, 10,000 years or something like that. So, so previous to that, it was hunter gatherer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Have Have you read much about that kind of stuff? Like the prehistory humanity? Not so much. I'm, I'm concerned more with more recent history. I've accepted that we're we're an agricultural society, and yeah, you know, and I I'm, I certainly believe that hunting is is a, not a bad thing. Like mm. I think that if you do it right, 
and honorably that it's a good thing. I think yeah. it's, I think you can eat meat if you do it right and do seasonally. You, do you eat meat? Oh yeah. I try to eat, you know, mostly, I would say 90% of the meat I eat is, is uh free range, grass finished, prairied, you know, chickens, beef, and then pro- well, probably 10 to 15% is probably wild caught, you know, venison mm. deer mm-hmm. um you know even wild pigs stuff like that which are abundant right now we've got more i mean that's the solution to like people going hungry right now is like let's harvest some deer yeah <laughs> like everything we do in permaculture in the hill country right now the number one driver of all of our designs is to facilitate animals is deer Huh? It's deer. I was going to ask you about that. The the future of permaculture and it's deer pressure. Huh. It's the number one driver. I'd say water's first, but you can't have one without the other. It's it's the water cycle that we design. We start with designing, and then deer pressure in the hill country is like. So deer pressure meaning you want to. Uh, there's a lot of deer, and so you need to be able to provide a home for them, so to speak. You need to eat them. Yeah, provide a home in our stomachs. <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> they need to be cold. The, gene, the, the bad genes in the deer are also reproducing because there, there isn't a keystone animal, cougars, bears, hunting the deer. Mm. So they're not taking out the weak genes. Mm. that's the way it happened for thousands and thousands yeah, of years yeah. and now the weak genes are are reproducing and that's not so nobody can argue that that's a good thing when you say deer pressure in relation to permaculture um how does that change the design of i mean it's fencing yeah so if we go back over like I, i'm i've mostly concerned myself with you know obviously i'm a total hill country hippie um, shout out to my buddy Hugh Fidel who wrote a song called Hill Country Hippie about us. It's phenomenal. You, should, you guys should look it up and listen to it sometime. Mm-hmm. It's really good and um, kind of says it all. He's a great poet. Um, and he, you know, the the Hill Country is such a special place. Um, the Texas Hill Country. There's a great book if anybody wants to really look into what Texas was like when the first white people got here or even brown Spaniards um, called The Explorers Texas by Dan Dan Vinegar Vinegar and it's out of publication but most libraries have it Um, but man you guys it gives me goosebumps the descriptions that the first explorers how they describe Texas is just off the charts. Now, again, perspective. Mm-hmm. They're coming from Europe that has been deforested totally. Yeah, yeah, Y'all know yeah. Ireland used to be totally forested, 100% old growth forest. I believe that, yeah. What's, what's your picture of Ireland right now? Just flat. Green, rolling hills. Yeah. It was all forested. Heavy duty, totally enclosed old growth forest, just like the Redwoods. Very similar. Yeah. And so the whole island, 99.9% of the island was covered. Okay, so the, so we had way more biomass. Well, there isn't anywhere, like if you just look on Google Maps, satellite view, and you just look at, you can tell what parts are forested and whatever, and you zoom in on any part that isn't forested, you know, unless it's in the desert, right. it's farmland. Yeah, for sure. It's all, you, it's all mm. 
which goes farming. back to the agriculture, yeah, industrial farming. So, <clears throat> um, you know, if you look at the big scheme of things in North America, and I like, you know, I'm anchored here in the Texas Hill Country in this energy vortex, which is the largest spring west of Mississippi in the United States, which is the Comal Springs, which is about mm. five blocks that way. Um, yeah, so it's a really special place. We're on a convergence line. It's kind of a, a space of edge. There's a term in permaculture called edge, and it's used. It's used when it's when you're talking about the for where the forest meets the farm or the the plowed fields or the prairies. Mm-hmm. That's edge. But I also like to use it in the more broad spectrum, where edge is where atmosphere meets soil. Hmm. Okay, so when we flatten things, we changing the edge we reduce the... edge, right? Because of less surface area. So plowing, mowing, mm-hmm. we're reducing surface, okay, area, surface yeah. tension. It's where all the beauty happens, where all the microbes live. It's where all the water's cleaned. It's where all the plant life is. It's where all the mycorrhizae grow. Like so, that yeah, biodiversity. That where it's, it's how biodiversity is created. You know, it's how and it's how it's reduced when we flatten everything. Mm. So when we're plowing and flattening, you know, concrete jungles, all that stuff. It's like reducing edge, mm. and we're reducing Mother Earth's, you know, biodynamic explosive abundance potential. Mm-hmm. Right when we do that, um, and so. You know, take for example so the what happened in north america first was we killed all the buffalo yeah first thing worst thing well, well actually actually i'm sorry before that one other thing the happened. Natives. you know, you know what the it natives, is and then we killed the buffalo right, but before that y'all okay. know what we did before we killed all the buffalo uh, right before we did. well we killed the natives killed all the beavers oh okay so there were millions of beaver beavers in the united states for pelts right for pelts for Europe. It's our first export from the United mm. States. Okay, because there wasn't any gold here. They didn't find the gold. Mm. They didn't find what they thought they were going to find. All the riches. So it became beaver pelt export nation. And then all to think about Europe back then. All the women wore the beaver pelt hats. Mm. And you know, the clothes and stuff were adorned with beaver pelts. And so when you do that, what I happens? I don't think I've ever seen a beaver. Yeah, what happens? Uh, you just completely changed the... What do beavers do? Make dams. So it flooded? So flooding? Well, it's more of a, a... It's really more of what the dams... The benefits that the dams are doing when they go through their cycles. Okay, so they break during a flood. Beaver dams break during a flood. Oh, okay. So they're not... I mean, those are temporary dams. Would it change Very the, temporary. Yeah. Would right? it change the... Uh, it would change the strength of the... Of the water. I what, what did we have in the United States? We had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of lakes. Mm-hmm. Thousands of them everywhere throughout the whole United States. And what were these lakes doing? They were building biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Oases in the deserts. Yeah. They were building, they were you know, terraforming, essentially. You all know what terraforming is? Mm-hmm. It just changed. what Elon the- Musk wants to do on Mars. He actually believes it's possible. Maybe. Uh, we'll see, I guess. Um, so, but we should do it here on Earth first. We should terif- re-terraform Earth. Sure. The flattening of it is the opposite of terraforming. Right. Right. And so, when you when you get rid of the buffalo, which are are twin hoofed animals, mm-hmm. right? Not horses, flat footed animals, but uh, goats, um, 
deer, antelope, mm-hmm. twin hoofed animals. Yeah. What do twin hoofed animals do? They they migrate south for the winter, north for the summer, just like the birds do in mass. So what are they doing? They're following the seasons. What are they following? The rains, rain patterns. Follow the rains. They walk through the grasses when they're high. It rains, they're percolating the surface of the soil, which used to be covered with about probably 10 to 12 inches of biomass. Hmm. Okay, so thatch, grasses fall over prairies. I'm talking specifically thatch falls over, right? What's under the thatch? Water, animals, compost, yeah. leaf, you know, matter, biomass, microbes that are living in that, worms, mm-hmm. right? Fungus. Okay, so you've got six inches of that. What's below that? Humus, right? What does all of that make up on top of the soil? What is that? That's a, what is this doing? What is that 12 inches that used to be on the top of our soil doing? It's like fertilizing the soil, right? Much more than that. Think about... Okay, here's a a clue. One pound of biomass stores four pounds of water. It's storing water. Storing water as well as buffering, shock absorbing everything that happens. Mm. Everything. Storing water for the water cycle. It's imperant. So that's why we get such massive droughts, right? California has a biomass problem. They have uh, they've effectively exported 90% of their biomass. That's a quote from Joe Salatin. Hmm. They've effectively, you know who Joe, Joel Salatin is? No. He's one of the most successful farmers in the United States, owns Polyface Farms. Everybody listening to this podcast What's should Polyface? look up Polyface, it's their name of their their farm. Oh, okay, okay. Polyface, okay. many faces, like many facets. It's polyculture instead of monoculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Permaculture instead of monoculture. Yeah. Right, so you're trying to poly. We're trying to create this dynamic. So what do we have here, guys? We have this 12 inches of, 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 of topsoil. Topsoil is probably three or four inches, five inches, six inches, seven, eight, ten. I don't okay. know. But on top of that, you have biomass. So the soil, so, so during the... Which so keeps things going when the weather changes. Buffalo yeah. are dead. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That That's what we're getting to. Yeah. Okay. What are we here? Snowpocalypse. We're having climate chaos. What do we need for that? We need Mother Nature's shock absorber. Mm. It's gone. We've, we have this hard surface of edge that has no blanket has no insulating value Mm. it doesn't hold sediments it doesn't hold water we have no water carrying capacity if we still had that that thick layer just like right here in texas then um the it wouldn't get quite as cold and we'd still have access to water and right yeah precisely yeah at them and i don't think that's a theory anymore I think that's pretty much a fact. It would it would be right now, even during the snowpocalypse, it'd be helping everything. In the middle of record droughts, it'd be helping everything. Mm. In the in and they in normal really times with normal rain, droughts. it'd be helping everything. Mm-hmm. In a forest, it'd be helping everything. In a prairie, it'd be helping everything. Like the only thing that's it doesn't do is help factory farming. 
Right. Herein lies the problem. Yeah. Consumers have to stop supporting. If we expect free enterprise and capitalism to work, we have to pay for the pollution. We have to pay true cost accounting and the consumers have to start demanding better yeah, yeah. goods and supporting it with their money. Mm-hmm. Because we've all agreed we were born with a social security number. Yeah, sometimes it sucks. We have to pay taxes, you know, whatever. But we've all kind of agreed to this system. The money's just a just a means to an end. It's it's I mean it's gonna change. Bitcoin's probably gonna it's gonna democratize finance and money. What do you mean by that? You don't have to get too into it. This is um, <laughs> It's going to take the power away from the Federal Reserve Bank, which is the Illuminati, which has been bullshit, imperialistic, white man insanity for way too fucking long. Mm. It's ridiculous. It's going to democratize. Because it's not, there's not a centralized. Decentralizes system. the bank. It's, it, nobody gets rich off of it. The only problem with it that I see recently, and you guys have probably heard, is that energy requirements of the, com- the mother, you know, the mm. computers, the super, supercomputers that are are automating Bitcoin and running blockchain. Mm. Suppose, supposedly it's super power consumptive. Mm. So I don't know who pays that bill. And again, like if you start paying for the pollution for that power, true cost accounting, is Bitcoin as good of a value anymore? You know, does that take the value? I would argue it would take the value down a Bitcoin once you start paying for the pollution that the energy use is causing but we're probably not going to do that well we have to you know like if look so ultimately ultimately the earth's going to be fine it's humans that are fucked sure yeah (laughs) Yeah. yeah. i mean the roaches are going to do phenomenally the birds will be fine the alligators have been through this before (laughs) like you know i mean to think that the alligators could have gotten through the fucking ice age come on humans Uh, are so awesome I'd say alligators are fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if we're going to compare, you know, animal species Coming here. from Mr. Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we, we need to stop thinking we're so freaking awesome and humble ourselves and start working and collaborating together and start acting in every way we possibly can to save our own asses, quit shitting in right. our kitchen, you know, to... to, to uh, we need to concern ourselves with the ecology within which humans thrive. Mm, if we yeah. are as smart as we say we are. Yeah. I, I like the, the, uh, cause I guess I've been thinking about, I mean, I think everybody has a little bit of like, uh, what would a, what's the move for society? How can you be part of a good change? And I just think the, the, the best move to do right now is just to sort of, what would be best even just for like, I don't know, for like our own depression, you know, mm-hmm. would be to surround ourselves with an environment that looks more like the one that we evolved to live with. And spend more time in nature. And I know. think, yeah, and I think that's why I'm so interested forest, in permaculture. Forest bathing, you know, like hiking. Because we've destroyed the, you know, the ecosystem or we've disrupted the ecosystem here, you know. So yeah. much. That's that a better word than destroyed. Destruct, dis, disrupted. We've disrupted. Yeah, and yeah. Did, we've been destructive. We haven't really counted our blessings very well. Yeah. We tend to. Well, it's it, and also up until 
recently it's it's been really hard to get a bigger picture on the whole thing it has been we've been, we've had you know we look we've had blinders on you know we're myopic kind of beings inherently until you get to a point to where you know as much as i know i know nothing you know like mm-hmm. i i feel a, i feel fairly wise for a 51 year old man but man i've just scratched the surface you yeah. know and i still want to dumb myself down and go watch an episode of Rome, you know, or, you know, like we, we all want luxuries and comforts beyond survival. Like, could I survive right now without my heater on? Sure. Yeah. No problem. I'd probably, you know, if it was an extended period of time, I'd hook up that wood burning stove. Like, and I I've designed, systems permaculture wise redundant systems that are renewable you know i've turned what was a flat piece of land into a productive effectively a food forest with way more biomass Mm -hmm. and you know i've probably i had no biomass on the on top of the soil protecting it no blanket when i got here totally cracked ground you know two inch cracks exposed soil um to now i've probably got two or three inches of biomass built on top of hmm. it and mostly through tree companies dumping off tree mulch yeah. that they would have otherwise had to have used more of their carbon footprint by driving all the way out of town and i have a very keen ear for for chippers i can any given day i can almost hear it inside my house if there's a chipper within 10 blocks of me you could go chase it down i'm gonna go give them a map i have a map printed of my property and i show them exactly where to put it if i'm not home you can open the gate i've got a highlighted yellow x marks the spot you give it to the driver of the truck Mm -hmm. and they will drop it on your property huh yeah and it is some of the most valuable that's a it's like carbon carbon it's gold to me yeah it's a carbon sink Okay, and you're instead of burning it, it's a better better thing to do with tree um, matter than burning it, mm-hmm. you know, because you're putting it back in the you're keeping it in the ground. Um, I had to remove a rotten tree for my solar array. It was in between. As a matter of fact, that that piece of wood right there is off of the pecan. And so, see how at the bottom of it down there, that was the bottom of the tree. It was starting to rot, and so it was dropping limbs all over the place. Pecan mm-hmm. trees tend to do that. They, you know, and I was like, well. It's going to tend to – one fell on one of my cars. You know, I was like, I, yeah, I might as well just remove it and then build this solar array mm. and harvest wood. But I didn't take one piece of the wood off of this property from that tree. Yeah. There's yeah. no reason Closed to. Closed system, right? Closed the loop. You, you have this – Absolutely. Uh, what's really cool is the – um, there's the that idea of the closed loop in permaculture in general. Right. But you've just done that with your whole – property and, right, and, <laughs> and let's go let's take that closed loop because that's very good let's take that closed loop ideology to the to evs mm-hmm. okay i yeah. own a tesla my second one i've got about fifty thousand miles on them driven all the way to maine mm-hmm. photo shoot this summer back all the way to minnesota back all the way to san diego la up highway one san francisco back through yosemite death valley las vegas back to texas in by a, the way i loved your uh, yosemite le- video electric car thank you that was cool guys, yeah I actually it was really pretty too yeah thank you yeah. that's my 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 uh compadre andrew gonzalez is is uh he's becoming quite the cinematographer he's good yeah 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 um so yeah and i love those guys i love the serendipity of running into those people if anybody that's out yeah. there in the podcast listening to this go to uh, earth 
dot com, which will go to our YouTube page, mm. redirected and watch the that podcast on Yosemite that we did. It's really yeah. cool. And all of them. I mean, let us know. Con, uh, you know, I like I like sharing the good news. You know, I do think there's a lot of good news, and we can wrap this up by leaving you guys with some some good news. There is there's there's plenty of it as a matter of fact. So okay, let's, I, I do have, I have a couple more questions. Yeah, before, let's reverse uh, back and keep talking about the permaculture stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of want to move on to the sort of sure. the new path, which is just a how did you like? What's your story with permaculture? How did you like hear about it? How did you get into it? And then and then beyond that, how so, is this prop? What's the story of this property and this? Okay, cool. So my um so my path, if you will was uh graduated from texas state that place changed my life because the san marcus springs were there i got certified to dive i'm a certified raft guide uh, so i guide raft trips here on oh, the awesome. Gua- guadalupe river yeah when the water's up which it's not up near as often because of the biomass that we're talking about mm. as a direct result it's very have incon- you done anything very, in the colorado river very inconsistent in austin or colorado river in colorado oh uh, anywhere two different rivers oh oh really yeah, people don't, a lot of people don't know that. The Colorado it, yeah. River in Texas starts out like in San Angelo and out in West Texas, and it's not related with the Colorado River that runs oh, through okay. the Grand Canyon. Yeah, huh. yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, I have rafted the Grand Canyon a couple of times. That Colorado have River. Have you led rafting trips on it? I've I have not guided, but I'm, guided. I get yeah. into the pool every year to try to win. A lot. It's a lottery thing, so oh, I, haven't won, oh, I haven't won yet, but I'm planning on it before I die. But I've been on two commercial trips when I was a kid. My dad took me on and okay. changed my life. I mean, it was it's huge. You know, that was probably the beginnings. You know, if you go all the way back, that was the beginnings of you know really the biggest thing was jumping out of the boat with my dad in the boat, and I remember just having this giddy kid, thirteen year old, like this place is amazing. And it was Havasupai Falls on the Havasupai Indian Reservation Hmm. from the Grand Canyon. So you can come from the top. I've always wanted to do that too. You can hike 11 miles down to the Havasupai Reservation and then Hmm. camp. It's probably some of the most beautiful waterfalls in North America. But we approached it from the river. And the Colorado River is murky, brown, full of soil, desert soils and stuff, and cold snowmelt right deep this year was one of the highest rivers it had ever been highest it had ever been they, they ranked the the rapids there from a one to ten as opposed to like most other rivers are one to five mm. and so because they're so complicated they rate them on a one to ten system and so that year the the guides told me the rapids were at 11 like crystal falls and lava rapids the two biggest rapids mm. were like they were turning boats over that never turned over before and like and so it was just a fantastic trip, but cold, right? So we're in this cold water. That was that year that you were there? This whole trip. Yeah, this whole trip. And we get down to Havasupai Falls, and it's just, guys, it is like Rivendell. Like, I've never, I'd, I'd never seen any pictures. I'd never seen anything like this in my whole life. And I jumped out of the boat, and I almost took off running with these new, amazing legs I had, you know, being a 14-year-old kid. And, like, I couldn't, you know, this is, like, starting to come into my body going, wow, man, this is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I turn around to my dad because I thought I need to ask permission, you know, at that age. And I turned around and looked at him, and he had this, my dad, he used to call it a shit-eating grin, but he, used, he had his classic shit-eating grin on his face. And 
he just kind of nodded his cowboy hat at me like go on and uh yeah that was kind of the beginning of of just my love for nature you know and a point of where you know my dad let me go someplace that that was good it was a really good decision you know by him to like it was kind of like let you know kicking me out of the nest Mm -hmm. in a way but sending me off to a place he had never been to and he kind of knew it you know it was kind of that point of like of wow this kid's going someplace i've I've never seen and never been i can't get to anymore like i can't you know and and it was cool. It was like it was like him passed because he was a fossil fuel crazy man, drag boat racing, motorcycles. Like we had all the toys, and and my brother was all into that stuff. He's still a motorsports photographer, but I was never really into it. You mm-hmm. know, I, I I just I I did it. I loved. Older? I had fun. Huh? Older? Yeah, five years older. And so I just was never into. It. I mean, I'm into the thrill seeking, cliff jumping, and like I love. I got my dad's thrill seeking thing. Yeah, you know the speed and stuff. It's one of the reasons why I love the Tesla. Like it's like owning your own roller coaster, literally. Mm. And so, um, that moment kind of led me to everything else. It was the foundation, I think, mm. the Grand Canyon. So it's kind of funny you asked about the Colorado River, um, and that led me probably to my photography career. I took a couple of photos that trip that I kind of realized, wow, I've got, I've got an eye or whatever. And I also had legs to get there. Like I climbed this huge cliff and I, I went at this dude ranch that we spent the night on the first night. I climbed this huge cliff at dinner. Again, my dad's like, Hey dad, can I go? And and I come back down and he was kind of mad at me. He's like, I didn't think you were going to climb all the way. I went like way up the Mm -hmm. top of this cliff and looked down. I've got this photo of the dude ranch and it's like this big. And I I didn't realize how far I got up the cliff, Mm. you know, and then ran back down and the doctor on the trip asked, he saw me do it. And he goes, he goes, Hey, my name is Eric. Woody's a nickname, but he said, Hey Eric, do you want to jog down into the canyon with me in the morning seven mile jog he's like i just saw you do that i'm sure you can do it with me if you want to and i was like went and asked my dad because everybody else was riding donkeys mm-hmm. and and i so i did it i jogged seven miles down into the canyon with that doctor and i'll never forget like he was a mentor that gave me an opportunity you know and he i'll never forget he was jogged two or three miles and he would turn around and i to stop and wait for me and i was on his freaking tail the whole way i huh. never lost him you know and he was like thinking he was gonna have to wait on me yeah. you know but that was like getting my legs you ever mm-hmm. saying in advertising that's got legs but that was me as a child you know getting my legs underneath me and finding myself you know and um i think there's a travesty and then i'll go forward with this how i got to where i'm at mm-hmm. But I think there's a travesty in America with young men turning boys into men. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a gross problem. It's what happened to Donald Trump. He was never required to be a man. He's always a boy. The sacred grandmothers called him a boy, a man and a, a boy in a man's body. Classic, right? Like man child, man child, yeah. same thing. Like and and it happened. It's it's not honestly. It's not his fault. Like that's the world he he grew up in. Mm-hmm. Like we we created men like that by not having um, a tribal kind of you know go off and find your spirit animal moment in young men's lives yeah. and don't come back until you have something to offer the community. You know we don't have 
a system. We just expect boys to grow into men and we joke about sex and we, you know, like it's not a way, a good way to turn boys into men. It's Mm -hmm. not an honorable way. It doesn't honor the masculine at all. And it makes us bad husbands. It makes us bad leaders. Because nothing is really taken seriously, right? It's not. And it's, it's, we're taught that it's about money. It's not about fucking money. Yeah. It's not. It's about honor and dignity and, and creativeness, you know, and, and seeking knowledge all the time and humbling yourselves and getting rid of your fucking ego. And this country rewards ego maniacal behavior. Yeah. It's a travesty. I think it's the worst thing about this country. And a lot of the shit that's happening right now wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for that. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is that it's not just this country. It's kind of, uh, it's just civilization as a whole because Fucking say, advertising. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's why Elon Musk hates advertising so much. There's because there are countries that you know maybe are uh, have done you know have cultures that are more uh, that are just better suited for people. Um, New Zealand. The thing the thing is with civilization though is that you can't you know as soon as you stop as soon as you lose this drive to like because the thing is the best place for humans is a place where you don't feel like you have to be making so much growth, you know, like this mm-hmm. endless growth, right? We don't need that. Um, we could just kind of, we have enough food, you know, we can sit down, we can have our food for us. We can just chill. Right. Yeah. But, um, the, well, you, the thing is, to, as you soon have to as work. I mean, you can't just, we don't have a garden of Eden right now that you can just no, lay no, no, around no, in and no. have sex all the time. <laughs> but we have, we have the resources to where you, you know, theoretically, if everybody was on the same wavelength, we have everything could, we need. You could do that, and there wouldn't you be homeless people. Yes, yeah, and well, the, or everybody would have the same. There is home, a theoretical the, utopia. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely isn't going to happen. Um, <laughs> but you can, we can get closer, right? Yeah. But um, I mean, Rivendell, the, the elves had it right. <laughs> Rivendell, you know, they but they still had to go fight their battles. You know, yeah. The the thing is though, as soon as you stop. As soon as you lose the motivation to keep, uh, you know, to keep increasing production, that's when you stop competing with other countries, and that's when they. Yeah, but it's this model of you know Edward Abbey, growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. Yeah. Hmm. It's the growth for the sake of growth. The problem it's is growth that, without a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It's growth without dignity, without a higher yeah. meaning, without a bigger goal. Yeah. To, you know, I think saving humanity is probably a decent goal. It's very humanistic. It's very humanistic, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but uh, I, look, it's an honorable goal. I think saving any species is an honorable goal. Mm-hmm. You know, like the blind salamander, I think it's an honorable goal to try to save some space in this world for the blind salamander, which is the endangered species found in these two springs right here. Mm. One of the endangered species that are only found in these two springs right here in, oh. in all of the world. Have you I seen think that's one? an honorable goal, huh? Have you seen one? I have seen one. It right. didn't see him. It, it didn't. <laughs> You're probably correct. That's why it didn't run away or swim away. Mm. It does have little feet though. So I guess it can kind of swim and run. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Yeah, so um, I saw one snorkeling one day with my my good friend John Schlimmer, which is the perfect person to see one with. And we were both snorkeling. Is he we blind or something? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, he we saw it together. <laughs> no, it was cool. It was right over here on the on the cliff wall where all the springs are pumping out along hmm. along the uh, Balcones Fault Line, which is where the Edwards Aquifer's lowest points are, and that's where the water comes out of the the cliffs out of the hill country. So they in soak into the Edwards, what's called the recharge zone up in the hills, and then pressure pushes it down to these two mm. big springs and clean microbes clean it along the way. Um, so permaculture, go back to where you know, Colorado River, I went to school at Texas State. I learned I was a total fish out of water. I was in the rivers and lakes as much as possible. I did my homework at the river, um, the San Marcos River, that is. I you know, taught canoeing. I came down here, I learned how to graph guide. Again, observing nature, observing nature, being in nature, being out of doors, not watching, you know, several years. I didn't have a television, yeah. you know, like probably 15 years of my life, distracting me from, you know, learning another way instead of not to say television is bad like it's a great learning tool but it's it's, it's, it's a, a classroom it's not experiential yeah and it's simple a as that. lot of the time it's just numbing it's numbing it depends on what you're watching right i mean if you're if you're using it to to research and find things yeah, out yeah. and you know watch the greening the d- desert thing last night on Hi- history channel like terraforming can we turn this area into de- into terraformed into the food mm. forest you know yeah it's interesting like that stuff i think is good and i think more people need to be dialing into that instead of entertaining themselves using the yeah. television as a tool to to subscribe to your information as opposed to having information prescribed to us mm. by the mobs of television you know yeah. advertising and and consumeristic energy that's on the on the tube you know learning about stacking functions with your yeah tesla solar charger yeah and, and trying to it's it, the challenge for us as makers and creators is to be entertaining mm yeah, so that so that the edu- so that the material is is educating as yeah, well, well as that's, entertaining. Well, that's the best way to have people absorb the knowledge, but that's also the only way that you can compete with entertainment. It's yeah. just pure entertainment. Yeah, and I, I, that's to me and being in the advertising industry for so long that and to, to full circle how I found permaculture. Like I'm a location photographer. I travel all over mm-hmm. all over the world, mostly North and Central America you know, the Bahamas and I've been to, you know, to Europe on a couple of photo shoots and, but keen observer studying things like the dust bowl. I, I highly encourage everybody to read the book, the worst hard times. Um, it, it's about the people in the dust bowl that stayed behind and to understand how that happened and that we caused it. Humans caused one of the worst natu- unnatural cataclysm- cataclysms of, in the history of the world. Not a natural disaster. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was an unnatural disaster. Humans caused it. Unless you just consider humans non-sapient beings that are ants that are just causing these disasters. And um, But it's an extremely entertaining as well as educating book um, that, that talks about how we how the the great plains the greatest of the great plains collapsed ecologically collapsed and literally the soil blew away and it ended up you know black sunday i think it was one of the days that 
three to four inches, I think even up to six inches in Boston and, and D.C. of dust blew from the middle of America and the Great Plains and ended up on the East Coast this thick on everything, you guys. They woke up with this thick. And that's finally when the bureaucrats and the business people in the East Coast and the Washington, D.C. started listening to how bad the problem was they didn't realize it until that happened they didn't have television they didn't you know it's like morse code back then i guess or whatever you know? sure yeah <laughs> yeah tell and and so uh, um, dust pigeon yeah it was uh it's it's probably the scariest moments i've ever read in my life this side of a stephen king novel hmm. and those are fiction yeah. right this is a non-fiction book and I was mortified, What's absolutely scared. I think it's the worst hard times. I looked it up the other day, um, and for some reason it didn't come up. But I'll I'll get it to you after after the podcast. We'll look it up and see. It's a very important book. It, so that led me to um, Masanumbo Fukuoka, who wrote the One Straw Revolution. I highly recommend that. Um, it's a Japanese farmer. It was basically factory farming, rice, Japan, 12 acres of land, which lands at a premium in Japan. So things are a lot different the way they approach things. And uh, Masanumbo Fukuoka, One Straw Revolution, is a great book. I read that, and even though he doesn't call himself a permaculturalist, he um, was kind of before his time but kind of doing it at the same time Bill Molson was just in different geographic region region. And then I watched a movie called, uh, greening the desert and it's on YouTube. Anybody can watch it. It's about the, I think it's, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong. The Luan Valley, the Luan Valley in China where they, it feeds the yellow river. It's the reason why the yellow river got its name because of all the sediment coming from this Valley. It's millions of acres and they terraformed the Valley and they did it in 15 years. And what, how would they do? Terraforming. They think Machu Picchu. They, you know, dry eroded cliffs, rocks, sides in this big, huge valley in mm-hmm. China. Um, everything's eroding. Sediment loads are all going into the river. You have essentially the Colorado River with all this desert, you know, dirty sediment yeah. loads going in, which are basically considered non-point source pollutants in the world of ecological remediation and bioremediation when you're building these retention ponds and stuff out here, which is kind of a knee jerk bandage idea. You build a highway, you dis, you know, disperse all this water that wouldn't otherwise it'd be soaking in normally build a highway. you try to catch them in these containment ponds or these mm. runoff ponds. Mm-hmm. And then you run them through these rock filter walls, gabion walls where the water goes through. I used to think these rock filters, the rocks used to filter the water. Well, the rocks don't filter the water. It's the microbes that live on the rocks. It's mm. the edge mm. that filters the water. Mm. Right. I learned that in permaculture. And so these things are kind of knee jerk reactions and stuff. They're good systems. They, they, we need to be building better ones. Their bioremediation bio systems need to be, and I think they will be, especially with the new administration, like a thing of the, of the now and the future. Like we need to bioremediate and pay for the true cost of the pollutants by building these systems that allow plants to clean our water mm. and making the space for it and 
putting a price on the value of that valuing space and do you think that do you think the the uh money from that because if the government isn't you know taxing and putting the money to a good spot as far as that kind of stuff goes do you think that comes just from the consumer being willing to pay more for uh i guess there's a couple of ways i mean i think a carbon tax would work um they have that in washington i believe california has one now europe the eu saw carbon tax now and they're Mm. carbon trading uh carbon credits so i think that works in theory um but honestly i think the best things that have ever happened to the united states of america have all been grassroots by far so just little women's suffrage um you know martin luther king jr and the marches for you know equality um Y'all know what the largest mart or the largest protest in the history of the United States was? Mm-mm. Besides the Civil War, well, that was a war. What was it? Earth Day. By huh? far. Earth Day. Really? By far. Interesting. Shut down the world, the U- U.S. commerce that day. Where, where, when, what year? Uh, 71, I believe. Hmm. Nixon was in office. His first year in office. He actually, Nixon, conservative Republican, formed the EPA. Hmm. Didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, And he put a bulldog attorney in charge of it. I forget the guy's name, but the guy did his job. They cleaned up the water. All the, you know, the Cincinnati River was on fire. Industrial pollutants were just being dumped directly into without any remediation, no price paid, no, you know, again, ideally that price should be passed on to the consumers, Mm -hmm. right? In an ideal world, I don't know whether you do that through regulation. There's a lot smarter people that know know about this stuff than I do. I don't know if you do, whether it's better to do that through regulation, but I do know grassroots works. Mm -hmm. Like we have perma blitzes and we haven't had one in a while, but we earth repair core which is a an organization i co-founded with kirby fry um we sponsored perma blitz as well as we're we're teaching certifying body uh the the pandemic's kind of put a put a big stop and a lot of that but mm-hmm. but we'd have perma blitzes on these say 12 acre family farms young young farmers which is just people come up and you teach yeah we'd or- advertise it on social media and and people would come out of the woodwork, you guys, like to just just for the community. And I tell you, some of the best days, some of the very best days of my life, like were the end of a two day perma blitz, helping a small family farm implement and build a solid permaculture design for their wow. farm that they would not have been able to do otherwise without the help of hundreds of volunteers that huh. showed up to build these systems. Wow. So so it's just one farm at a time? Yeah. So hundreds of people show up and you transform the farm over a couple of days? Yeah. Wow. With a, with a great design. Uh, we would have earthworks prepared so we'd already have built the Berman Swell systems with, with heavy equipment and have those ready, have all what, the plants. How do Berman Swell, Swell systems work? So that's the... the I, I heard you mention So you go back to terraform, terra farming, yeah. right? Or terra, um, 
Yeah, so that's the way they did the Luan Valley was they terraced everything, right? They went from these these cliffs to all the sediment going to, to basically, I like to think of it as like a Chinese pinball. You know what a Chinese pinball machine is where, mm-hmm. where a pinball goes in and it kerplunks down like these things like and you try to keep it's like a vertical ping pinball machine it's like okay. hanging on the wall kind of thing and the ball kerplunks down and so that's what we we were trying to do it's all about the water mm. slow the water down literally 80 percent of what permaculture is about is slowing water down mm. and storing it you can store it in a forest you can store it in duff you can store it in humus you can store it in biomass one pound of biomass stores four pounds of water it's like a sponge the best way there's no lake there's no system of lakes this side of letting the beavers come back and build lakes wherever they want to that is going to store that much water hmm. it's impossible okay so so it's a little it's kind of human folly to think that we can build these lakes these impoundments that are going to store as much water as biomass does how, how does the beaver lake system work how do they manipulate lakes? well so they were so you're thinking you got to think about a really biodynamic lake right with, with hundreds of different species of plants yeah. and life and and so you're you know reeds and and rotten materials and you know you just got all kinds of a, a soup of just dynamics inside of one of these ponds as opposed to what we have now which is a farm pond you know with nothing around it except for cattle whole dent you know dents where the they're you know, and then they mow it. It's like, those don't, that's not biodynamic. I mean, the yeah. water's dead. You go back to the water, the water's alive in a beaver dam. The water's got a higher vibration. It has a higher magnetic resonance when it's in a beaver dam as opposed to to a tank that they call it on a farm. Mm-hmm. Right? And so now, regener- you know, best practices, regenerative agriculture is is mimicking the buffalo, through intensive rotational grazing, okay, or what's called paddock grazing. So you're mimicking the buffalo herds, which used to go south, ungulate the land, perforate it, leave, hit it hard, poop all over it. Birds come in, birds eat the worms out of the poop, birds poop, plant seeds, plant eat the grain seeds, replant the grain seeds. Cows are planting the grain seeds, and then this system builds and builds and builds, and then that's where you get the biomass. Mm-hmm. Right, and so best practices today with barbed wire fencing, which was the second thing that ruined everything. <laughs> First, it was killing all the buffalo, mm-hmm. beaver, buffalo, barbed wire. Mm-hmm. That's three B's: <laughs> beaver, the buffalo, the barbed wire. Ruined everything. That just was the absolute. Those three things are the collapse of of our ecology in North America. And so the best practice is to mimic that pre. Yeah, you know what was happening back then. And I've known a lot of ranchers that are doing it very successfully. How did barbed wire ruin everything? I'm sorry? How did barbed wire ruin everything? Migration. It stopped Just migration stopped the, yeah. of... Kept animals in un- one spot. Of the ungulates, right? yeah. the twin hoof species. 2,000 mm-hmm. pound animals that were doing what? Perforating the earth. <laughs> And the earth had a blanket on it, so they were actually perforating. They were probably just barely touching the soil, if at all, if it was real muddy or whatever. Yeah. But it was never muddy, right? They were, you'd have millions of buffalo come through, and they would just, because the grass, because the biomass, the thatch, and the humus, and all that stuff was so thick, you would, it wouldn't even be muddy, right? What is, um, so I get what biomass is, but what's humus? 
Well, humus is like, um, I mean, you can buy humus, right, in a bag. So it's like really, think of it as like really finely ground composts, like an additive or a, it's like a, a soil conditioner as a humus kind of material. It's poop and, you know, like we can make it out of humanure. So it's just the, it's the, kind the, of a, it's like finer biomass that sinks to the bottom. Yeah. It's kind of a layer. You think of it like a lasagna. You layer sure, yeah. you layer it on top of the soil. You have the soil, then you have the humus, then you have the biomass. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's that. It's humus, thatch, compost, you know, tree material, leaves. And in a forest, it's duff, you know, is on mm-hmm. the top. The, the forest duff is on the top. If you walk through the redwoods, guys, you ever been to the redwoods? I uh, have, yeah. Yeah, you walk through. If you get off the trail and you walk through the redwoods, like you sink down every time you take a step about three or four inches, you know, mm-hmm. there's a beautiful book called the the wild trees. And it's these guys that are skywalkers. They, they go through the tops of the trees mm-hmm. and in the redwoods and they find literally other forests like spruce forests in the top of the trees of the, of the giant redwoods. Huh? Like there's many forests in the tops in the tree canopy of the redwoods forest. Like so there's the, a whole nother, eco- whole nother ecosystem. The saplings, micro. Where do the saplings like plant? Just in the limbs of the trees, dead limbs or humus, biomass, all humus. the dead stuff that's built up over the years. Mm-hmm. There's, there's the literally trees. a layer of that stuff in the top and the tops of the canopies of huh. the redwood trees. Right, and so there's a story where these guys <laughs> learned out. They didn't know this just until this, guys. This just forever. these guys just knew this ten years ago. Like this is brand new information. Wow. Like this is a world nobody's ever explored before. Hmm. Right, and so they're finding all this information out, and so they're called Skywalkers, and their group, fantastical book, you go guys called the Wild Trees, hmm. and there's a story where one of the guys, the professional tree climbers and, and Skywalkers, he owns a house in Oregon, and he has one of the biggest Doug fir trees in all of Oregon on his property. It's the reason why he bought the house, and all of his friends over there one day climbing it. Well, he was the last one down. And everybody got out, and they're supposed to have spotters. And, you know, there's always, like, a rule of, like, you, it's like rock climbing. You always have two points of contact. Or, you know, you make sure, unless you have a bomber hold or whatever. So you, so you, these guys, he came down, and he, he was, like, 125 feet or 100 feet in the tree still or 80 or something. And everybody else was out of the tree, and they're like, you all right? And they went in. He freaking grabbed a broken branch and fell, free fell. Boom, and landed flat. Okay, took him to the hospital. He came home that night. Wow. Because he landed in 12 inches of forest duff. Damn. Yeah. Of biomass, of beautiful microbial, the most living organisms in any, I'd be willing to bet in any square inch, and the whole world is in biomass. They always say that. um, It creates heat. Yeah. Melts the snow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is crazy, actually. You'll see, like, piles of wood, and they're just, like, steaming, and you're like, why is it steaming? Yeah, in the... Microbes. <laughs> yeah. In the winter, we go to, like... You can heat this, water that way. It's like a, I don't know, like, dumping ground for, like, gravel and bark and stuff like that. And yeah. we'll, we'll climb up the, the bark hill, and then we'll get to the top. It's all cold, and we'll just, like, dig down a little bit and then sit in the steaming, like... Yeah, it's like a sauna. It's great. Yeah. Live. That was on one of y'all's acid trips, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, is that, real, is that how y'all found that? <laughs> no. It's just been that. That's just cool. That. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. that's like... Yeah, I mean, that's life. That's, that's like life. bioactive... You know, amazingness. That's magic. 
that's the, this world. That's this beautiful world we live in. We need to engage in that more instead mm-hmm. of separate ourselves from it. Yeah. We need our children to engage in it. And we need to make them, everybody needs to be required to go barefooted every day on the earth. <laughs> Put your feet on the earth and plug yourself in to the earth. Ground your electric body to the earth. Stop putting rubber-soled shoes on all day long and cutting yourself off electrically from the earth. Very literally, every time you put rubber-soled shoes on, you are cutting yourself off of grounding yourself from the earth. We, uh, on our trip down here, we went to, um, we took a stop in uh, Zion National Park. Yeah, amazing. Because we were like, we were just done. We had actually, so the day before we got down there, actually the same day, I guess, sort of um we like we're gonna stay in an airbnb in like right out of salt lake city right and uh we got there and it was like it was our first time doing airbnb it was like a 20 buck airbnb a night right which isn't a good sign and (laughs) i've been one of those one time and we so we went in and like (laughs) we we had to wake up this guy who was sleeping in one of the rooms um oh my god and that was uh, worse than mine my experience and he came out his name's dave and he seemed like a nice guy and he was just here to you know escape he was just living and then he's like oh there did you guys not check in with the guy outside and we were like no we didn't see a guy outside and he's like okay we'll try the basement so we go down into the basement and there's this jeremy the meth guy comes out oh no so we we just drove we just drove south we just Uh, left we were like "Ah, i'd rather drive through the night if we have to (laughs) than sleep at this place yeah so um we uh anyway we ended up we ended up staying up till like two something a.m and uh we ended up in this like sort of I don't know. We, it was just like these rock trails, these like off-roading trails that you go onto, and we were just camped there with our rooftop tent, and um, and then we went in Zion. And uh, the thing about the Zion is that the uh, like the trails are perfect for barefoot because oh, really? it's just it's sandy. It's pretty yeah. rocky, but it's not. That's cool. It's not super rocky, and and it's all soft rock. Yeah. So I took my shoes off, and we just went running running up and around the trails nice. and um yeah that's real ground and that's that's i mean the that's why the native americans the, dance around yeah. a fire and pound their hills on the earth like that's what that that's what they're doing they're grounding themselves mm. you know so so go back to permaculture so i found you know traveled all over the world and i saw you know a keen observer and i'm like you know like well this is falling apart like we're our ecology is falling apart mm. i could just see it before my eyes and I'd been in the special places where it wasn't falling apart. I'd been to Zion. I'd been to mm-hmm. the Grand Canyon. I was like, okay, this is what this is where we thrive. This is ecologies yeah. and with which we thrive as humans. These concrete jungles, not so much, yeah. right? These are the two polar opposites. Juxtaposition is always great in art, but it's also great in studying science. Yeah, you know, look at your extremes and let's see what's going on here, and let's see if if a if a mean between the extremes is even a good place to be. You know. I would argue that's why we say regenerative agriculture. Like we need to regenerate, you know, the biomass, yeah. the water storage facilitators, all of this stuff. And so, so traveling around the world, I, you know, being in the redwoods, all these things like led me, I think I watched that video on greening the desert and I was like, I've got to find 
a tribe. I've got a, you know, I started studying permaculture. You, I call it YouTube University. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. I've got a master's degree at least, yeah, if not yeah. a doctor's degree, probably at this yeah. point in my career off of YouTube. Yeah. You know, from the University of YouTube, and it's the only university I'm going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's really all you have to do. I mean, I would encourage you to look out outside of YouTube occasionally, but occasionally, yeah. But um, Vimeo. Yeah, but great, great you know, doc- democratization of education, of information. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful, man. It is beautiful. YouTube is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and so I just I started that kind of led me to you know meeting this tribe, um, uh, Austin Permaculture Guild, and meeting Kirby. I, I remember looking, you know, on the website and seeing like I wanted to see who I was going to be hanging out with, right? Yeah. Like so, I went and looked at all the teachers. I was like, damn, that's some impressive resumes, you know, and be hanging out with them for two weeks it's 800 bucks so let's let's go for it you know that's i decided i just dove in and man it was two of the best weeks of my life i i learned more in two weeks than i learned in two years at texas state university you know mm. like and it, of course it's more specific to stuff i wanted to learn i had this piece of land i'd actually already done some things going back to berms and swells and and you know to talk about a, a design system um i've designed this place to slow the water down by creating more edge by taking it from being flat mm-hmm. as a result, most likely of mowing or, or factory farming. There used to be a pecan orchard here. So kind of not factory farming. That's really monoculture. And you farming. still have some pecan trees left over from that. Yes. Okay. This whole neighborhood is left over from that orchard. Mm. And then I had some, I have two, pear trees left over from they were trying to succession do after the pecans quit producing when they get big they planted fruit trees underneath them mm. and the pecans kind of protect the fruit trees and mm. and so there was a few fruit trees says but they were mostly all dead um and i actually bought this two pieces of property so i bought the one in the back separate for two thousand dollars from miss Bodie <laughs> about 10 years ago yeah and I, you know it was really crazy just serendipitous moment where I had cleaned up the property for her, um, and she was really appreciative. It was her family. It was the family farm. It had been separated, you know, and all these subdivisions turned into this old subdivision back in the 50s. And um, it was a piece of land left over from her farm, from the homestead, farmstead, and just this little quarter of an acre. And this is a quarter acre. That's a quarter of an acre back there, just two rectangles. And so, um, making up one larger rectangle. And if you look at it from Google Earth view, it is does have a golden mean or golden ratio design to it. If you see huh. it, and I was actually doing that even before I was knew I was doing it, which really shows you that how tapped in, if we're listening as artists and sapient beings, how tapped in we are to sacred geometry and repeating hmm. patterns and stuff. And so. So she offered it. She said, you know, you guys should really, she was watching. I built the girls a tree house, green road, green road girls club. It's all the girls around here, my daughter. And they were um, playing in the tree house and Miss Bodie came over and I cleaned this path from her house over here. I'm really big on paths, like following your path, finding your path, following your path and taking care of your path. Uh, Masanumbo Fukuoka taught me that, but it just illustrated itself throughout my lives, my life over and over again. And so I built a path for Miss Bodie to come over here. That path allowed her to offer me the land for $2,000. I said, Miss Bodie, this land's worth way more than, or, or she said, I said, Miss Bodie, I can't get any money. The market's collapsed. Nobody's going to give me a loan. 
you know, I'll just keep taking care of it for you. She goes, well, what do you guys should have this land? She was in her eighties. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, Miss Bodie, I, I don't have any money, you know, like she goes, well, how much could you come up with? And I said, I could probably come up with a couple thousand dollars, but that this land's worth a lot more than that. And she stuck her hand out just like that. And, and I hesitantly shook her hand and I said, really? And she's like, yeah, you, you guys need to have this land. And so I came back in, I thought about it. I went over to her house and I said, Miss Bodie, I, can, is it okay if I get a hold of your daughter, the executive of your state, and talk to her about this? I don't want to be that guy, you know, like taking advantage Definitely. of the old yeah. lady. Yeah. Like, that's not, yeah, that's bad juju. That's bad karma, you know? And so, so I called her daughter and she said, her name's Susan. She said, I'll be down in a couple of weeks and we'll go over it. We looked up all the, you know, surveys and everything. We finally f- kind of figured it out. And, and she goes, well, my mom's been paying $10,000 in taxes, you know, taxes on a $10,000 for the property. And I said, I, I figured as much, like I figured it was worth at least 10,000. And she goes, well, let me go talk to mom. She goes, I'll come back over tomorrow. She comes back the next day and she says, mom wants you guys to have this property, Woody. And she said, a deal's a deal. She shook your hand on it. Total old school, high quality human being deal's a deal she wants you guys to have it and i said golly i was like i'm humbled i you know she's like no you you've taken care of this property like you cleaned it up for her you she wants you guys to have it she thinks you're going to be a good steward of it and i said i'll pay for all the survey i'll pay for the closing costs nope mom's paying for that too like okay I fell down on my knees, said a prayer, and looked up to the skies, lifted my hands up, and said, what do you want me to do with this property? You know, what do you want me to do with it? And so I've turned it into, you know, a, a permaculture demonstration lab. Yeah. What you can do on half of an acre in a subdivision in America, in Central Texas, you know, the hill country. Um, this is what you can do. It's an old Indian campground. It's the highest point in between the Guadalupe and Kamal River. I knew that when I bought it. I like that idea. I've been through two major floods here as a photographer, documented both those things. Those things also led me to permaculture because I saw the massive flooding. Mm-hmm. I've actually been to three now because of the one that happened on the Blanco, which I I canoed that river literally the day right before it flooded in high huh. water and got photos of it before it. Yeah, before the Mother Nature just ripped it apart. Again, would not have happened if it wasn't for factory farming practices and bad farming practices. Humus, like if we had that water to store, if we had that, per, that biomass yeah. to store the water, it would slow all of it down. You know, it would still happen. We're still going to have floods, but it wouldn't be sediment laden. It wouldn't wash all the soil away. Right. Okay, so what we really need is to rebuild the soils in America rebuild the biomass and the soils and place a value on soil place a cost on pollution quit pushing pushing costs off on the healthcare industry which is bankrupt that's about as simple as i can put it we've been effectively pushing the cost pollution cost of cheap fossil fuels off on the healthcare industry healthcare industry is bankrupt you know, they did the whole Obamacare thing. Great. But nobody talked about the true problem, <laughs> which is Americans are sick and fat. Yeah. Well, and, that's, and our that's, food yeah. supply sucks. And we think it doesn't. 
we think HEB is awesome. HEB really ultimately sucks. And my health food store right down the street right now is closed down right now. Which one's that? For goodness sake. Because they don't have electricity. Mm. HEB is not because they're a necessity. So my health food store is not a necessity, but HEB is a necessity. They can feed more people. Are those guys local? The health food store? Yeah. Yeah, so they get fucked. Yeah. That's not right. The only reason why I have electricity throughout this whole thing is because the hospital is right here. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Don't you, had, do you... Um, that's, you feed, that's feeding the system. Uh, I mean, it's cloudy days. So he's talking oh, okay. about... Sam's pointing to my solar array. I've got a 7-kilowatt solar array. For the most part, I, I, I'm about 80... I produce about 85 to 90% of my energy needs, including the Tesla, which is a lot like mm-hmm. the, the Tesla is by far the highest consumer of energy. Mm-hmm. Anybody that buys in a, a Tesla, do not fool yourself. You're going to pay a lot more for electricity. I put, I knew that was going to happen. I didn't know the extent of it. So I installed my solar array first. Mm. I invested in the solar array first and then I purchased the EV EVs. Okay. This is, I wanted to go back to one thing you said about closed loop systems because mm-hmm. permaculture is about closed loop. There's a big argument when somebody brings up EVs, it's electric vehicles that say, oh, you're burning coal fire power. power. Just somewhere else, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Potentially. Or Just natural gas. On the grid. Here's the difference. Okay. First of all, it's closed loop. We're not dumping this open loop smoke into the air with the cars. It's closed loop. The power system, and if you're using solar, mm-hmm. it's a closed loop system. Yeah. yeah, if you're using solar. I'm not saying that all of the pollution is being paid for. Or the true costs aren't because it costs. There's a carbon footprint for building the car, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. I'm not arguing. And also, uh, getting lithium for the batteries, right? That's right. That's so a there's there's a cost, but mining, mining can be remediated. Okay, so mining can be done correctly, and it can be closed loop if it's done correctly, right? We've we've already done that. The quarry market used to be a huge limestone quarry in San Antonio. Go look and see how it's been remediated see how it's been repurposed mm. right that was a huge limestone quarry like all mining mines can be can be remediated now the bitumen tar sands uh, that's another story that's like surface mining that's like that's a hard deal yes cobalt is the worst thing for batteries uh, the cobalt mine supposedly the most human bad human rights things possible it's in the congo it's only found one place but now tesla's gotten all the cobalt out of the batteries mm. so again at least it's a closed loop system to where you can seek solutions there are no solutions for the open loop of the mm. fossil fuel burning we have no solutions we don't know how to carbon capture right and we are we are it's open loop so it's a problem that you can solve it's a problem that can be solved yeah. theoretically it goes back to first principles of physics Right, Elon Musk is big on first principles of physics. If it's possible, why not do it? Right, like he knew that electric cars could be better. Trust me, I used to rebuild street rods with my dad. I was a great, I'm a good mechanic. My dad was a great mechanic. This car is ten times the vehicle of anything I've ever had, hmm. by far. Any car I've ever had, it is better, safer, faster, funner, more efficient, more accurate. Okay, eighty percent efficiency it operates at fossil fuel cars. Even a Prius is only operating at thirty percent efficiency. Mm-hmm. All the rest of it's heat loss. Yeah, that's the worst thing about fossil fuel engines. Second worst thing about fossil fuel cars: ice, internal combustion engines. 
2,000 moving parts in the drivetrain. Tesla has somewhere around 10 moving parts in the drivetrain. All these moving parts are mechanical systems bound for failure. Right. I'd, I'd like to have 10 of those instead of 2,000 of them. Mm-hmm. Planned obsolescence is gotten into the system of the big three automakers where they design cars to fail. Your yeah. transmission goes out super complicated. One of the most complicated freaking things in the world mechanically is a yeah. transmission. They're eliminated from EVs. EVs are designed to last for a million miles. These cars are designed to last for 200, 300,000 miles. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things inherent in EVs that are just theoretically and now proven because we finally scaled it to be way more efficient and way better. Right? So, um, yeah. Do I occasionally charge from the grid? Our grid's mostly, um, I'm probably getting a mix of hydro electric and natural gas at my house. Mm. So when I'm not making enough, I pull from the grid, but also when I'm making energy, you give back to the grid. I'm giving to my neighbors directly. Yeah. Right. And so I'm offsetting, I'm essentially carbon offsetting at that point. Mm-hmm. Wait, right? so you're not just feeding it back into the grid. <coughs> you have like something set up where you make more power. You give it to your neighbors it specifically or path of least resistance. It's just the way electricity works. Oh, okay. Sure. It's not going to go back out and go on to the, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It goes to the path. Of least Interesting. Resistance. Yeah. So I take pride in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. that's a good investment I like giving so my, my neighbors power you um, and this this whole property has taken you uh, 11 years 12 years I 12 I forget when I bought it no, I think it's I, as I get older I, it's like if I'm counting I'm not living <laughs> I'm trying not, I'm trying not sure, to count yeah, as yeah, much yeah, yeah. yeah. And the same thing with money like when you're counting you're not living yeah when you're doing accounting what a what a waste of time that is yeah <laughs> you know? yeah that's what my, my dad always talks necessary about necessary evil but yeah, it's my dad always talks about how blatant waste of time. Uh, you can, you know, if you don't have enough money for something, you can always go out and find more. So there's no point in just wasting your time, you know, doing yeah. the math instead of just going out and finding more money to make. You know, going back to fathers, the best thing my dad ever taught me is I can fix anything. You know, he just he's like, you know, I'm not scared of anything. Like I can tear a car apart and put it back together mm-hmm. if I if I had to or needed to. I mean, I know like wood burning stove, it's not installed, but I know I can install that in half a day if I need to. I've got all the parts. Yeah. Um, I don't have chickens yet, but I have everything ready for chickens. If I see that, you know, we're heading for a, a collapse or something like yeah. I almost went and bought them last year, but I didn't, I, I have plenty of farmers that I get stuff from. I have no problems getting mm-hmm. you know, direct food from people. Um, and so, you know, to round out the permaculture thing, you know, I took the class. It's the best two weeks of my life as far as education-wise. Met lifelong friends. You know, um, highly recommended. It. it opened up so many, you know, pathways in my mind in so many different ways of what can be. It's probably the first time I kind of had a pessimistic. I'm a glass half full person as a whole, but I had a bit of a pessimistic view about humans. Yeah, trajectory and what of we're society. Doing. Yeah, kind of yeah. just an environmentalist kind of view. Um, the, what's that comedian George Carlin one time says? Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you know, you, you environmentalists are no better than the damn politicians. You know, you, to think that humans can do something to this earth that a super volcano or a meteorite is going to do, like, how humanistic of you, you know? And I, and I, I yeah. kind of, he's right. Like, I kind of agree with that. Like, yeah. I kind of, and I was operating, you know, before I heard him say that, I was kind of operating in a way of, 
a little bit of a pompous attitude of like, oh, I knew all the solutions and we got to do this and this and this. And then, you know, the things that environmentalists get a negative, negative spin for. And I was, <clears throat> and so after that, I kind of stopped calling myself an environmentalist and just claimed to, to be an ecologist, you know, just to concerning myself with it, with our vibrant ecology. You know, I, I kind of like the idea of, of the garden of Eden, mm-hmm. you know, in Rivendell and, and I've seen it. I mean, you see it in Zion. Yeah. I yeah, mean, sure. it's there's an explosive abundance of of everything animals need in Zion National Park. Yeah, you, as long as you can build shelter, you've got everything you need. Yeah, there. You'll, you'll find food year round. Even in the even in the middle of a desert, yeah, you're going to find explosive abundance. Yeah, the deers we saw looked very weird, though. Really? They, yeah. Oh, well, they were just like furrier than normal. Yeah, they were like extra yeah. fur. Yeah, it's because cold. I guess yeah. so, yeah. yeah. No I was idea. in Scotland and saw a yak for the first time a few years oh, ago yeah. in a photo shoot for Dale. Yeah, and it, man, it was crazy looking. These yaks, these, or no, it was Highland, Highland cow or Highland bull. So it was kind of like a yak, but it was a different, I forget the name of Man, these things are these woolly mammoth looking cows. I'd never seen one before. <laughs> yeah. person, they were just beautiful. Yeah, I've seen pictures of the... Uh... Yeah, it's just like a, a cow, but then it's just got these really big mop, furry. like yeah. wigs, you know, almost like dreadlock wigs yeah. on, you know, over their whole body, <laughs> draping over. So beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, I studied the Native American culture a lot. I've always felt a, you know, my mom always called me the weird one of her three kids, and I'm mm. like, I love it. Good. And I'm glad I'm the weird one. Yeah. You know, like, but I, I was always the one running off and. They're hanging out with the Native Americans in Taos when they were like hanging out and you know, I'd, I'd get lost and find some Native American guy to talk to or something because hmm. I just I was always intrigued by um, the, the I think the Native American from you know from what I've studied and learned they they had it right in the sense of balance you know and honoring the balance of Mother Nature and magnetic resonance and you know there was they didn't even have a word for jealousy they didn't they shared you know which what tribe is this uh i mean the lakota the you know the sioux the, the you know the what are those the other the one they made the i think it was the kevin costner's dancing with wolves have you ever seen that movie yeah shoshone the shoshone yeah Maybe. i, don't I think know. that might be right um yeah, there were warring tribes too. The, you know, obviously the the Comanches were, were man, they were, they were hardcore. Mm-hmm. You know, they were savages. Like always, I, until I read a, I read a book about uh, what was that? Was a great book about Texas. Same writer that wrote Worst Hard Times wrote a book called uh, Summer Moon. It's about the something of the something of the summer moon. And it's about um, uh, Cynthia Ann Parker and, and Quanta Parker, the, the last kind of Native American chieftain. And it was uh, Comanches. So the Parkers came to Brazos Bend and they got to the prairie grasses, which the book that explores Texas will explain to you what it looked like and felt like back mm-hmm. then. And they got to it and they, they described it as oceans of grasses and islands of trees. That's what hmm. it looked like when they got to the plains. Okay, so right past the forest of East Texas, 
<clears throat> they were coming up from like Braz, Brazoria and Brazos, like the central coast okay. of Texas. And when they got to the plains, they didn't quite know what to do because they didn't know how to, they didn't know how to build structures without wood. So they stopped kind of at that area and they built a fort. The Parkers built a fort and they made a huge mistake and they put the gardens on the outside of the fort. Well, the freaking Comanches were watching them the whole time. They didn't even know they were being watched. Well, the you know, Comanches are watching them. And as soon as they built their whole fort and then they would come out and garden, they, you know, they chose their attack. They attacked them. They killed everybody except for Cynthia Ann. They tried to kill Cynthia Ann's baby by suffocating it. It didn't work. The Comanches at the time had become within 50, 50, 30, 40 year time had become the best horsemen in the history of the world. Mm. And they had single-handedly sent the, the, conquistadors and all the troops coming up from from mexico back to mexico with their tails between their legs because they could get six arrows off on the top of a bareback horse in the time that one of the spaniard warriors could get a muzzle loader reloaded so they killed the spaniards and sent this wouldn't be america right now if it wasn't for the comanches Hmm. yeah really interesting and so and the, all these accounts say that the Comanches were the, the absolute best horsemen probably in the history of the world ever. Mongols, ever, all the history of war, like almost everybody agrees now that like the Comanches within 30 years, because they didn't even have horses here. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the side effects... Actually, I, I learned that originally horses came from North America, then migrated across the... Uh, Right. And then right. died That's off That's interesting. Here. That's, yeah, that yeah. makes sense, yeah. And yeah, so now it's like a full circle to come back. To. Right. <laughs> and so one of the unintended consequences of of them becoming the best horsemen in the world was their women were having, they were nomadic and their women were having, um, uh, they were having birth, what's it called? Stillbirth? Uh, yeah, stillbirths or uh, miscarriages because of they were on the horses all the time and it was making them have miscarriages nomadic and so Mm. women breeding women were at a high high value and so they kept Cynthia Ann and stole her and killed her baby and when they couldn't suffocate the baby Cynthia Ann saved the baby brought it back to life and she was holding it and cradling trying to hide it and they stole her and took her with them and they found out and they the story goes this is pretty gruesome but they tied a rope around it and drug it behind the horse. Nice. Through like cactus and like, so that changed my my utopian idea of oh Indians are so nice and the white man came yeah. and they oh they labeled yeah. them with savages. No, that was fucking savage. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so I think that's from Cynthia Ann's words because she lived a long life and wrote had a diary and stuff and and so she bred for lack of a better way to say it, with Quanta Par- uh, the the chief, which I forget the name of the chief of, of the Comanche tribe, and Quanta Parker was born. That was her son, and he was half white, half Comanche. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sorry, not Comanche. Cherokee, no, yeah, Comanche, not Cherokee, Comanche. And so he, there's this long story about Quanta Parker. Um, it's a great book also midnight I'll, I'll show you guys all those books or send you links to that when we get done we can maybe put them in the description or whatever mm-hmm, sure it's a lot of a lot of those things like i mean as good as youtube is it's the books that changed my perspective taking the time to sit down 
and out of your life, which is hard to do, to, to especially in this day and age with screens and everything. But it, to to read a good book, especially all these accounts of what Texas used to look like, and to kind of give me a, a raw perspective, a visual, if you will, for me to work from when I'm doing permaculture designs and. I'm trying to mimic these systems that used to work so well and that we've kind of screwed up, you know? And so we can, I, 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 you know, permaculture, when I found it, it gave me a new hope. I turned into, when I saw how quickly they, they healed the Luan Valley, 15 years, guys, like, like this doesn't take very long. This is, this is, um, you know, low hanging fruit, if you will. Like this is the way to sequester the most carbon, the easiest with some, you, know, you don't have to be a technocrat like we can just rebuild these systems you know and, and place value like we need to place a value on it mm-hmm. right just ascribe a value to it and start you know describing a value to the pollution and saying you know to ourselves okay this isn't the true cost of filling up my tank of gas <laughs> you know that's why i quit buying gas as much as possible because I just didn't feel like I was paying the true cost. And I was like, yeah. well, if I was t- paying $10 a gallon for it, what would I do? I'd buy an electric car. Yeah, simple as that. Yeah. And so that's what I did. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. And, I, you know, I went through a couple Priuses. They were great cars. I, you know, it kind of led to that That kind of... You know, look, our society should... We should be... Our designing should really be more localized. We shouldn't be traveling so much. But the yeah, yeah, it's weird. Just especially going on this uh, trip, it's like you can't, you can't really stay somewhere and then have everything that you need within easy walking distance. Yeah, you have to have some kind of distribution, you know, network and and people. You can if you, you can't the way things are designed right now. But if we redesign things, you could. Right. And there's there's lots of communities that have proven that it's not yeah, it's not yeah, rocket science. Sure. But, you know, I, I think it's somewhat diabolical. I think our systems were literally designed to to, to isolate us. There is something... It's this, divide and conquer kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's Bernaysian, you know, Orwellian kind of Freudian, the base of it. You know, it all goes back to like, and if they can, if the system, if the bureaucrats can isolate us, the imperialists or whatever, this these ideas of of the aristocrats, you know, can isolate and control the masses and placate them, then, you know, it's a power, it's power. Yeah. And it, and, and it goes to their heads and they, you know, it's ego, it's ego maniacal behavior. I'm better than you. Like some, some white man, you know, thinking that he's, and you guys, you guys can't see me out there in the podcast world, but I'm very white and bald. I mean, I'm the guy that, that Bob Marley wrote the song about. You know, bald bald men song like that's if I were to be cliched, I would be that cliche. You know, um, it's not what my heart is at all, and you know, all our blood is red. It's the way I look mm-hmm. at it. You know, our blood's all the same color. Some of it's higher vibrating, <laughs> you know, healthier blood, sure. but it's all red. You know, and that's the way I look at humans. And I, this idea that you know of imperialism coming from you know it's just insanity and maybe it had a purpose in human in human history and it kind of goes back to that golden age you know the the grandmothers sacred grandmothers also said when trump got into office they were very kind of nonchalant about it and we're like look that your things were still on the uphill climb things are getting better but as with everything sometimes they get uglier before they get Mm -hmm. better and like we need trump to like they just looked at it like this needed to happen in order for us to make the next move into a higher 
into the next the next sure. golden age yeah. yeah and um and i believe that you know like i those are those are when i say the sacred grandmother y'all can look that up the it's it's really it's, it's a tribe of women that are native women and old elders oh okay and, and everything they talk about is pretty much spot on you know, hmm. like it's sage wisdom and uh so that helped me you know like that interesting how uh, how macho man and america texan born texan raised texan has taken some of his most sage advice from the native sacred grandmothers yeah. you know yeah of uh, i mean i just hold that i relish that and i believe that you know just saying it you know you guys coming and doing this podcast and admitting it's like you know i i apologize for my forefathers you know i i reparations or not like what's the right thing to do to honor you know we stole this country from an amazing an amazing people some some people yeah yeah and i don't know i shouldn't say we i'm just saying my my forefather you know my whatever like and i could see why you know like of course that hurts you know like how can that not so anything that i can do to you know to resolve that yeah. to help I think there's like there's a weird thing happening where people feel you know people feel shame for you know what what our ancestors did whatever yeah. but I don't know I I think that the the right way to approach it is just to go you know how can we what's the best way to move forward yeah how can we make it yeah. right I mean if there's a way to make it right if reparations whatever it shouldn't be shouldn't have to be legislated right I mean no. you know look the Native Americans their their way of life was taken from them. They didn't know they don't know how to live. They didn't know how to live the way you know they were made to live in this capitalistic society. Yeah, well, wasn't was that story? There was some tribe that was, uh, you know, as they were, what I don't know, whatever they were brought into society and given a reservation, and this whole tribe they were just doing all these rituals to try to summon like heaven like bring heaven the gods yeah. and well no it was it was like they had this specific heaven in mind and it was exactly what yeah it was you know oh, right. five years ago it was the same thing it was just open and it's very similar to the christian bison. heaven you know yeah i mean it's it's not the garden of eden yeah it's, it's not the the, yeah exactly yeah. like their beliefs are really not that far separated from the christian beliefs that we literally that our forefathers, the white people, mm-hmm. the European settlers, slaughtered them for in the name of Christ. You know, like, like that's not right either. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, I don't think Jesus Christ would have followed through manifest destiny philosophies. Mm-hmm. That's not what he was about. That's not what this, that, yeah, it's the opposite, right? It's light and love. Mm-hmm. To me, that's what Jesus Christ is about light and love what it is he is love it is love it's love you know forgive them father for they don't know what they do the ultimate act of love anyone anyone like under the most duress of any human in the history of the world love we have the choice to do that like that's a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. that we can get rid of the adrenaline and the angst and the fear we can release that even at the moment of death. Is that not when we're saved forever? Right. Is that not when all fear goes away when you do that? 
I hope I can do that on my deathbed. I, I, I fully believe that if I can go in a space of love, mm. I can go in a space of love on my own without needing somebody to hold my hand. Yeah, it'd be nice to have my family hold my hand or whatever. Like, that's great. But if I can pass from this realm to the next in a space of love, I have to believe that that is important. Yeah. (laughs) That it it helps me to advance in the next Mm -hmm. stage in the heavens to be, to follow another path, to be a servant of God, to do, you know, as it is on here on earth, you know, and it's, you know, this Christian pers- this prescription is just like, give me a break. Like this isn't, it isn't a prescription. This isn't a, if the, if anything, the prescription is act out of love. Don't react out of fear. And everything that you do, that's the prescription. Mm. And you'll be safe forever. <laughs> you know, like, that's about as simple as I can pull it down, you know? And, you know, as it is on earth, like if we can do that right now and we can make, be that same example, show other people that kindness and love, um, compassion, as well as following your path, you know. So so when I first found this place to go to a metaphor, mm-hmm. this property, I started building my path around here at the front of the house. It's a rock path. I went and there were no rocks on this property and you guys will, can't see a whole lot of it now because it's under the snow. But I, I started getting these, collecting these rocks from the Guadalupe Riverbed and started the path over there in front of my daughter's window. I built her a real nice garden and stuff because I wanted her to have a really beautiful view out her windows. And, and I started coming around the side of the house. I was like, man, wouldn't that be cool someday if I could make this path all the way around the house? And I immediately... Whatever it is in me that did this, I don't have it anymore, but I immediately um, second-guessed myself. It's like, no way I could do that. A lot of work. I did it by Mm -hmm. hand. There's a lot of rock. A trailer and a shovel in my hands. had a couple of friends help me occasionally with bigger rocks. And so it's kind of this flagstone, and it's meandering. It does these, like, herringbone shapes. And to describe it, it's all rolled river rock, so I think it has a special resonance, you know, that that normal land-dwelling, you know, whatever that's not in a river. Um, And barefooted, feels great, like all these things. And so I'm getting around to the back south. I start on the southeast side, southeast corner of the house, in the front of the house, and I move around the back. I'm getting around to about the middle and I do my middle back porch and and it dawns on me like, man, I might be able to get this path all the way around the house. And I'd second guess myself. And I was like, why was I second guessing myself? Like that was totally unnecessary, you know? Um, but I just, it was kind of an epiphany. And the exact same time I was reading, and this goes back to your working, like just being and, you know, having grapes fall from the trees and you don't have to work or whatever. Yeah, this sure. utopia. So Masanubo Fukuoko, one straw revolution, Japan, and he has a, a mentoring system. So people come and work on his farm, young folks like you guys. And and so a lot of people go there because he teaches kind of like observing, you know, get out, observe, 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 permaculture kind of philosophy um, and, and learn, make adjustments, do it again, observe, right? And so he, um, he basically 
people show up and they're like, oh, we're just going to lay around and watch things grow. And he says in his book, it couldn't be any farther from the truth. We work hard every day. And then he goes into this explanation about how, I think he said like 60% of their time is is maintain, is used maintaining paths, building and maintaining paths. And he goes into this metaphor of building and maintaining your path hmm. as it is in life, as it is on your farm, right? And so I'm reading this book at the same time and I'm like, wow, I've found my path. I'm building my path. I'm almost done building it, but I'll never be done because it needs maintaining, right? And mm-hmm. so... So it was not lost on me, the importance of that lesson. Like so many young men in this great country of ours, they don't know, they don't have a path. They don't know where to go. They join the army. You know, what do I do with all this testosterone? Mm -hmm. Do I beat myself in the head against another head on a football field? That's really the only option we're given. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what do I do with this testosterone? (laughs) Nobody tells me what to do with it. You know, and so where does it get placed? Where does that masculine energy get placed? Most most often and and not good, not a good direction, not on a good path. You know, like it's just used for meaningless sex or it's video games, business, right? Business, football, athletics, like the army, you know, of course, the propaganda of the army machine plays off of that. Like, oh, you don't have a path? Are you lost? Come play a video game in the army. Mm-hmm. You're good at video games, aren't you? Yeah, it'll just be you flying a drone, drone, yeah. bombing innocent people. Yeah, that'll be fun. Just like you'll get paid game. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll pay for your college later. You can put that off a little while. Let's take advantage of you while you're dumb. Yeah, what's interesting is that that's <laughs> like the the most surefire way to like have close bonds with people too is uh it's team tribe army friends it's tribe yeah. Yeah. army there's Navy, this uh, air force marines i don't know if you've heard place. about this but there's this uh um one of the main reasons people get ptsd from the military is you know going out into combat whatever and then they come back and then they have ptsd from the loss of the brotherhood that they right. have on the field. Yeah, they don't because, know what to do and then, anymore. And then there's like this alienation because people always think that like, oh, thank you for doing that, whatever. And then it, there's this I've got separation. a solution for that. We put them to work terraforming our country immediately. Mm-hmm. It's As uh, soon as possible. Yeah. They're strong, willing, smart, good-intentioned young men mm-hmm. and women. They can, we can rebuild the soils in this country. We can rebuild the forest. We can rebuild the prairies. We can put those guys to work helping farmers rebuild the prairies. Give the farmers some manpower instead of machine power and cheap fossil fuels. And mm-hmm. um, if we do a good enough job, it would be just like sending them to the Middle East because we wouldn't need it would the be Middle better. East anymore. It'd be right? way better. As opposed to depending on them for oil. It'd be way better. We'd just be, we yeah. wouldn't be burning all the... Again, none of it would even be possible if it wasn't for cheap subsidized fossil fuels we were not paying for the pollution for. Yeah. We're pushing those off to the healthcare industry and to future generations through climate chaos. We're paying for it right now. Like we're, we're literally paying for it in Texas right now, mm-hmm. ironically. And then we have our governor up here saying, 
oh, it's because of the Green New Deal. Like, what an idiot. Totally disconnected. Same thing with Trump. Like, the guy's never had dirt under his fingernails. How can you expect him to understand how land works? Well, that's because nobody who's ever gotten dirt under their fingernails, like, would give that up for a presidency. No, I mean, it just it's just circumstantial. That's just the where he was born. He was just born in New York City. And his dad was probably an asshole. You know, and he was he was he's a little boy. He's a damaged little boy. Still playing, you know, whining and bullying people in the sandbox. Except he actually had control of the nuclear warheads for a while. Look, one thing about Trump is he was not a warmonger. Like we were yeah, less yeah, yeah. we That's were a, less at war. Yeah. We've been in a long time, so you got to give him some credit for that. Yeah, you know? he, he did the North Korea thing pretty well. Pretty smart. Yeah. And just pulling all... Look, I'm all with like bringing our troops home and putting them to work here. Yeah. It was just that he didn't have a solution for putting them to work here. Look, I, I'm a huge Andrew Yang fan. We are headed towards massive unemployment. Mm-hmm. We're going off a fucking cliff. We have no jobs are going are gone trucking jobs gone 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 five years gone no more truckers what are they gonna do we don't have any war what are all those guys gonna do i got a solution terraform our country (laughs) yeah store the carbon in the soil reforest re-prairie our grasslands we have examples the National Grasslands is a great example. That was all done with Berman Swill, uh, berms on contour. That was all designed. It's all permaculture. Permaculture. Bill Mulson is the first one to admit, look, this is just working with nature. We're just working with natural systems mm. to, to design better e- ecological, more resilient systems. They're more resilience is a big thing. This is non-resilience. This snowpocalypse in Texas right yeah. now is non-resilience as a result of most like, I mean, a few things are going on here, but we have 3% more H2O in the atmosphere than we had pre-industrial revolution. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. I did not. 3% no. more H2O, maybe up to four now. So that's combining with the carbon, right? To do what? Well, it's it's a big mixing pot. It's stirring up these storms. It's just fuel. It's fuel for the for the climate chaos. That high. I mean, hydrogen's the most H two O is the most powerful element we know of. Like, it's the reason why bulldozers work because they're hydraulic systems. I mean, they're liquids, but the liquids, you know, they're they're oils and things like that. But they're based on you know, it's fluid. It's hyd- Hydraulic. Mm-hmm. Our most powerful machines are hydraulic. Yeah, so, you know, there's there's the solutions. There's a quote by Bill Mollison. Um, I don't know. It, I don't know the exact words, but it's something to the to the effect of although the problems we have now seem insurmountable, the solutions are relatively simple. It's almost twelve. Can we take a small break? I need to use the bathroom. Uh, I think I think Sam wants to tour oh, okay. the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. permaculture. Can, so yeah, so yes, yeah, we can tour the farm. Um, I say farm. Farm. It's a demonstration lab. Okay. <laughs> we'll cool. call it a demonstration yeah. lab. Demonstration lab. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. We so can we can just end the podcast here, and dude, that's great, man. 
That was that's, a really yeah, good. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to leave you guys with some hope, and I, you know, read books, man. Edward Abbey, he's an old curmudgeon, but man, funny. You know, read Desert Solitaire. Understand, there that we've gotten here by means of diabolical human beings. Like there is some really evil shit in the world. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, we can make the choice to operate from a space of love instead of react from a space of fear. It's hard because we're born into this fear system, you know, very immediately. Like, you guys are, what, 17, 18 years old? Mm -hmm. Like, how am I going to pay my bills? Yeah, what do you think? Like, it's a fear thing, right? You know, how are you going to pay your bills? So, for people who don't know, uh, you know, what they're going to do with themselves, what's the easy choice? Do you think what's the one that they that's not like that's not something that people would have to dread making a a decision about that's helpful uh, well i think it's like find your path and when i say that you know metaphorically i mean you know what are you passionate about find your heart what are you good at what do you you everybody has gifts you know if you don't know what your gift is figure it the fuck out mm. as fast as possible. <laughs> like, find that, go off and find your spirit animal. You know, I, it, it took try me, new things. it took me 45 years and, uh, a vision quest to figure out what I needed to do with my life. Vision quest. You went up a mountain, didn't eat, didn't it drink. Actually didn't happen quite that way, oh, but, okay similar results um and i wasn't it was weird i wasn't looking for it it's kind of a long story i don't know if you guys want to <laughs> go off into it i mean it's good it's a good story it's a really good story it, it changed was, everything in my life yeah sure he's walking in the woods and this this guy comes up to him and goes hey got some acid <laughs> no <laughs> it actually uh, psychotropics weren't involved which is another thing i want to say psychotropics have played a role in my in my life um, I think they're a tool, excellent tool. I, yeah. I listened to y'all's podcasts about, and I agree with a lot of things y'all were saying about, about that. Um, it's a good tool, but I've also experienced, for example, this vision quest that I had without it. Mm-hmm. And once I found that, I was like, I really need it anymore. Like if I can find it without it, what did you do? The what, meditation. What so like? I'm, I am, it was, you know, it, it what, was, uh, um, hold on. what, what, um, what do you have to do obligations time-wise? I'm good, man. I can make time for you guys. I I, I can do whatever I want to do. Okay. Much. Okay. All right. That sounds great. Thank great. you. <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Um, I need to answer a few texts, but we'll do that when I get off. Uh, so. We'll end on this story then. Yes. Yeah, so this is a really good story. It's, it's a, one of the most pivotal stories in my life. And so I had, you know, we have all these questions, right? most of them unanswerable like what's in the next life you know just the typical things what is life about why are we here and so going through life and you know doing just kind of like living reactively somewhat i mean i found my way you know i'm a photographer i I accomplished everything i ever wanted to accomplish in photography hit the high highest points of of pinnacle of a photographer's career you know everything i needed to do and then i was kind of like well what now Right. And, and I learned everything through being a keen observer, 
met a lot of really amazing people. And I was working in California at the time and I made a really cool trip. I was um, part of a community called Design Family Reunion. And I was asked to be a teacher there and I taught Polaroid classes. Um, great art community in, in you know San Francisco area. And we, we had it in the Monterey Bay. And I met this really cool person as part of that, Michael Osborne and some other designers in that area. Great artists, fantastic human beings, very inspiring in my life. And spent some time with their tribe and community in California. And I was on my way home and I'd let one of my very best friends borrow my Prius while I was gone. Flew home, flew into Austin. He picked me up and like all of this serendipitous crazy stuff happened. Like if Tom wouldn't have been there and asked to borrow my car last minute, like all of this, like it was stuff that it, it, if it, it was just too good to be true or how do you say that? It's more like th- there's no way this would have happened if it wasn't for this progression of events. Yeah, it's perfect. It, it was perfect. Everything mm-hmm. led up to the stars were aligned. Yeah. Like and and just these crazy things that can't be coincidence, mm-hmm. no, no impossible for them to be coincidence, and so Tom asked me we're on my way back to New Braunfels, very last minute. One of our friends, Chris, calls and says, "Hey, bud, I'm I just opened up a sup first sup shop in San sup? Marcos, stand up paddleboard. Oh, do you want to um?" come paddleboard with us this is when this is when paddleboards is like seven years ago or so and this is kind of what set me off in my permaculture path as well so this is an important part of that um and i was like hold on a second that sounds awesome i would love to see chris he's also a certified raft guide like a badass outdoorsman is one of my favorite dudes and tom's one of my very best friends that i'm with i was like man that sounds amazing i can't like not do this I had meetings, I had things scheduled, so I like quickly rescheduled some things, and I was like, dude, I got it, let's do it. And I'm talking to like, this all happened in like five, 10 minutes. And literally, you know, Chris is like, where are y'all? And we're like, we're pulling into San Marcos right now. And he goes, that's perfect, I'll have the boards ready when we, we get there, like we'll literally get there. And he's unloading the boards, like the timing, the serendipity was just unbelievable. We get on the board and Chris goes, you ever done this before? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, just, and I get on the board and I'm just like paddling, like no problem. Mm. Like, I got it. I don't need to get my sea legs or anything. And Chris is like, well, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. You got this. No problem. He's like, I should have known, you know, one raft got to another, but I just, the stand up paddle boards are brand new. Like I'd never, you mm-hmm. know, I'd learned how to surf. So I kind of knew, knew how to surf a little bit anyway. So, um, get on the boards and, and the guys kind of leave me and I'm paddling up this one section of the San Marcos river, which is a very, very special place to me. I won my first award for photography there. There's, I'll show you all that photo inside. Like it changed my life. That river changed my life. And it's, it's a hugely special, special place. And so I'm standing on it, right? Like I'm standing on water. Like I've never done this before. This is weird. It's this weird feeling. And, so I let them go up and I'm looking at this one section of the San Marcos River and it's at this V. It's like, so upstream it's coming into a V and it splits into an island and it's an energy. There's a lot of vortexes there. So like Ekman spirals, energy, high energy water, uh, all of that's high energy water. And so 
um, so I get I get there and I'm like looking at it. And I'm like, wow. And I, I felt this. Which I feel this a lot in my life. The better you get as a photographer, the more shots you miss. Mm. Right. Like, and it's this yeah. uneasy feeling. Like, I should have my camera taking this picture. Like, uh, I'm missing. Do you ever and, feel like that ruins a moment? Lot. It came with. <laughs> it came between my my daughter's probably most photographed kid in the world. And sure. it, it kind of came in between our relationship a little bit. The camera, literally. And so I, you know, there was times when she like put the camera down dad like four years old <laughs> like, yeah get it out of our way yeah. and it you know it's a great body of work though um <laughs> so i'm uh paddling up and i see this one spot and i'm like where's my camera and i was like no 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 not gonna feel that anxiousness right now this is a really special moment i've never seen this from this perspective and i've never seen I've never seen this part of the river and I'm sitting there looking at it going, there's no human presence on this river. This is the way it might've looked. There's no trash. There's no power lines. There's no, there's this, this one view, this one sight line without human intervention of the San Marcos river, maybe the way it used to be when the natives were there. Right. And I was just like, God, this is special, beautiful fall day. Colors are changing. It was just gorgeous guys. Like the perfect, perfect day. Winds are blowing just right swirling in these areas and i'm I'm like okay so i'm I'm like wow that's special it's i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it and so i I got goosebumps at that time not because i was cold but because something was there there was some kind of energy there that i would never felt before so i paddle up river catch up with my guys and go through sewell park which is the the university's land which is where i spent so many hours of my college career forming who i am volleyball diving boards co-eds bikini you know just like beautiful place it's just an amazing outdoor center canoe livery like you can rent snorkeling masks i got certified to dive there like all these amazing things in my life happened there and so we're going through there and i see these young kids like you guys that are in college and they're and i'm driving i'm paddling by them and they're like wow that's cool everybody hadn't really seen paddle boards yet and they're like like, what are y'all doing? And they're doing this. They're like, oh, we're doing the remediation project. We're collecting all of these species. So in case something happens to the river and the spring flows don't go down, we're starting this program to help save the, the indigenous species, you know, to make sure that in case we lose spring flows or go through a record drought that we'll have, you know, and they're explaining this to me. And I'm all the time I'm paddling. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. And these kids and I saw this really vibrant hope in these kids. They had a path. They had a d- idea. They were they were on it. They were doing it. Smiles. It was just a really special connection. So go on upriver to probably the most special place of one of the most special places in my life, besides the Havasupe Falls, a few other places. And it's at this waterfall where I shot the photo I was telling you about. I won my first award for, and all of this water's coming out of Spring Lake in the San Marcos Springs and it's a big waterfall. I love diving. I'm a crazy diving freak. So I love diving off cliffs. I love swan diving and stuff. I just love that feeling of flying through the air. I have dreams about it all the time, dreams of flying and levitating and all this stuff. And so did you take the picture on that trip? Uh, no, this is just a, okay. just to illustrate. I found an, an Indian native American arrowhead in the bottom of those waterfalls. So a lot of amazing things have happened to me at these waterfalls mm. right in my life. And so we get 
to this little cove. We pull into it at the base of the waterfall. We're just right around around the edge of it. And this is a huge waterfall, you guys, like 300 cubic feet per second of water coming over it and just boiling. You can imagine just the sound of it, right? And And so there's a way, there's a big boiling water, crystal clear water, right? And it's oxygenated, just super vibrant. And there's a way to go behind the waterfall. You can get behind there and kind of just go hang out behind the waterfall like Pocahontas style, you know? And so I'm swimming around and, or yeah, I go dive off of it and I'm swimming around and I go behind and I'm just feeling this amazing energy. And I, I go behind the waterfall and I'm standing there and I lay back against the wall and I realize that the sun is the first time this ever happened. There weren't any needles on the cypress trees. And so the sun was coming in at this perfect angle and it was hitting the waterfall and it was just like lighting me up like with prismatic light. Hmm. Okay, like rainbow light. I don't know, high vibrating light. And I'm just like, I'm as high as I've ever been in my life without being on some kind of drug. Nothing. And Tom knows something's going on because he's such a good friend of mine. He's a musician. He's really artist. Like he's in touch. And he, he reaches into the waterfall down to me and he looks at me. And I'm sitting there like this my arms wide open kind of like christ-like and i'm this light's hitting me coming through the waterfall and i'm just smiling like like this like my batteries were being charged and tom yells into me and he goes dude dude and i'm like i look over at him and it's you know the waterfall's coming over and he's looking at me through this whole kind of tunnel in the waterfall and he goes are you okay Kind of like that, smiling, but like confused, yeah. right? And I'm like, I'm like, fuck, dude, never better. You know, like, whoa, you know, just like, you know, just getting charged. And he's just like, all right, like, wow. Like, and I, so I knew that it wasn't just me. Like Tom was observing this happening to me. And so I dive out of the waterfall and I'm like, I'm like a fish out of water, you guys. Like, I'm an Aquaman kind of swimmer. And so I dive out of the waterfall, and I'm all over the place, just like a kid in a candy shop. And and I come over, and I sit on my board. Tom's the musician of the bunch. And I sit on my board, and I'm oblivious to all these other things going on to me, kind of like you get, like when you're on acid or something, you get kind of hyperfocal, you know, sometimes, and you're like, you're kind of oblivious, like there's this peripheral that's happening, but they're just kind of like... Tunnel vision? little tunnel vision but these you know there's like these people floating in the peripheral or yeah and 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 so it was kind of like that like i had this this tunnel vision so i wasn't really i was so into what was going on with me at the time and my my friends and so i went over and i got on the board and we sat there for a minute and we did smoke a joint or half of one or whatever and Tom was like, you sure you need this? And I was like, I really don't need it. You know, like I'm doing great, you know? And, and so I'm sitting on my board. And so instead of smoking, I like think I took one hit and they passed it around back and forth. And I started doing Congo, like drum, this vibration on the board. And this board had this amazing resonance. And so like I start playing and, and so Tom is a great musician, like really good. And so he starts playing with me. And then Chris starts playing boom, 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 and it's like bongos on our subs, and it's not only on our subs. Like the subs are are resonating this energy down into the water, 
right? So we're like, bum, 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 bum. And we're playing, and it literally, like, I composed, wrote, and played a song right then and there, like, unlike I've ever played a piece of music in my life. Mm. And Tom, who is the established musician, was freaking blown away. He knows me yeah. really good. He didn't know I had that in me. Mm. Like, I'd never done anything like that before. And so kind of like finished up he's like all right guy that was awesome you guys ready i was like yeah i'm gonna go dive off one more time you know i mean i'm gonna just you know this is something this is awesome like i'm just gonna relish in this a little bit longer y'all y'all good yeah y'all good so so i run up and there's like this little kind of walkway it's about a foot and a half wide and it makes this 10 degree turn and it goes to the mouth and you're right on top of the waterfall and you can dive off of this just little one and a half foot wide kind of diving plank it's concrete kind of a it's a mill race is what it is the wall to the mill race and the, the channel and so i'm standing on the wall over the waterfall and i finally look up and see what's around me and there is a class an art class and they're all over there like drawing on their and they're all like have their jaws dropped and it's a freshman art class i can tell just young kids 101 class i'd been in that class before i could kind of see what they were doing and and they're all looking at me and they're all like like this look on their faces like wow you know like that's amazing what like and i realized they'd been watching us the whole time (laughs) you know we didn't know it yeah playing the drums they heard us play the song like all of this stuff and they're sitting there watching us and i was i realized like how influential at that moment I could be as a teacher. Right. And I always liked teaching. I was a guest lecturer at Texas state. And, and so that kind of led to permaculture becoming a teacher in permaculture. And so, and I look up and I'm, I'm finally studying the scene and they're all looking at me, you know, waiting for me to do some kind of trick or whatever off the water, which I've been doing all, you know, I've been doing probably 10 times off this waterfall mm-hmm. while they're watching. I just didn't even know they were looking. And so, and then I study the scene a little bit more and I look over and there's, the wise old sage professor and he's he's leaning against one of the beautiful old growth cypress trees that are in that park and he's got his leg up against i'll never forget the scene and he's and he's got his cowboy hat on his artist you know like he's got his his stuff on and and uh he even had like a shawl over him and i remember the look and he he kind of like he sees i finally make eye contact with him and he looks at me and he just does this head nod to me and reaches up and grabs his hat and has this huge brother to brother smile on his face. Kind of a thank you. You know, he was kind of going like, thank you, you know, for being our muse yeah, and teaching these kids how to live life, you know, how to have fun, how to be an artist, you know? And that's when I realized like that was around the time I started being comfortable with calling myself an artist yeah, because I was doing all of this, this place, and all of this, my path design, and my nav. I was doing more than just photography, and so I went, I dove off, and then I went back to the board, and they were like, "All right, let's go." And I was like, "I'm gonna go dive one more time." And so I went back. I was like, "Y'all go ahead, and I'll meet y'all down. Grab my, take my board with you." And so I'll never forget. I ran back up and I dove off. I did one more swan dive and I dove in. And I dove into the, the flow of the water to go down river into that part of the flow instead of the back flow. And I stayed underwater for as long as I could. 
and I was probably under for a minute, a minute and a half, swimming hard. And I literally came up downriver where the water's picking up speed and faster. And I come up right at my board and I jump on the board and stand up and take off and paddle. And Chris goes, it's on. You know, first one to the end, last one to the end buys the beer. And, and I, there's no way on any other day in this world that I could have beaten Chris Burnett at a paddle race. No other day, no other time in the world, because he's one of the best paddlers in the world that I know. And I like take off on this board and I'm just in a zone. Pass by the students that I was on. I'm just like in a zone. And I hear Chris and, you know, my periphery and Tom like going, good Lord, what's gotten into Woody? What the fuck? You know, and so I'm paddling. And I, I get to this point and I'm finally like, I don't care about racing anymore. You know, my dad was a boat racer, motorcycle races isn't about a race. I was just like, and I, I realized I got, and I just kind of stopped and I like let them pass me. And I, and at that point I realized that I was at the pinnacle of that place. When I first got on, when you guys, when I told you the most the, beautiful spot I'd ever seen, I was looking, so I was at the opposite end looking, I was looking up river then now I'm looking down the river, but I'm on the pinnacle of where the Island splits the right. river right and the river flows here about five miles an hour probably it flows pretty fast and the 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 you know native grasses and stuff the the native texas rice that's in the river and stuff flows it's just beautiful you can see fish and it's just crystal clear and you're standing especially that perspective standing up and so something started happening at that at that moment and chris and tom passed me and they're like again you know last one down you gotta buy the beer and i just like kind of stopped paddling and i was like whoa and they took off and i was like what is going on? And the winds picked up and the winds literally, you guys like started blowing at the exact speed and they weren't even blowing this direction before they were blowing up river. Now the winds picked up. I stood up tall, as tall as I could stand up. I kind of, kind of like put my board aside and I looked down and I'm no longer moving. I'm on top of the water. The water's moving five miles an hour past me fish are all swimming past me and stuff and i'm in like this vortex and i'm like what the heck the wind's like blowing like i'm a sail the wind's blowing me back up river but perfectly like i'm not even having to paddle i'm standing right in the middle of the river like normally i'd be blown one way or the other but i'm standing there like and all of a sudden boom whoa like i'm like standing up tall and i'm like ah like i was behind the waterfall and like it was as if the top of my head opened Okay, and at the time I didn't know what happened. I do know what happened now. Top of my head opened and there was like this this light coming in and it had all of the information in it that I ever needed to know to answer all the questions I ever needed to know in my life. And I had like these visions of like Mayan pyramids and the pyramids in Egypt and stuff. And I hadn't even been studying that stuff at the time. I didn't even know why. And, uh, and, and, it seemed like it lasted about 30 seconds. It had to have lasted at least 15 seconds. And it stopped. I fell to my knees. The wind stopped and I started going down river again. And I was somewhat lifeless, like, like a blob. I was on the board going, whoa like just falling over and I go, Tom, Tom, wait, I need to, I need to tell you guys something. (laughs) 
don't even wait and he turns around and i hear tom go are you okay dude like again are you all right what the hell you know and he, they're like 50 yards down river at this time and they're turned around kind of looking up at me and so i i finally get my wits about me and i slowly stand back up and i grab my paddle and by this time i'm moving down river and i'm kind of you know you have to keep your paddle board straight so i pick up my board and kind of rudder or my my paddle and start ruddering a little bit to keep myself straight in the river and i slowly stand back up and then i paddle to tom and i'm just like and they're both looking at me like what the hell just happened to you like they had turned around and were watching the end of it and so i don't know if i would have believed it if they wouldn't have been with me like all the things that happened if they weren't witnesses to what happened and so immediately I got home and Tom's like, I don't know what the hell. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I told him what I felt like this, this whole slideshow of my life went through my head in that 15 or 30 seconds. And all these questions that I had were like one by one. This is why this happened. This is why this happened. This is why this, this is why you're here. This is why you went there. This is why the boom, 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 boom. Just like it's, it's like a slideshow. All these answers about my dad, about all this stuff, just like boom, came flushing over me. And ever since that moment in my life, though I've always known that if I stayed on my path I would know what I needed to know when I needed to know it and I have this comfort that has probably probably would have killed me with some of the major things that have happened in my life more recently if I didn't if I didn't fall back on that if I didn't it, or made me go crazy or something because if I didn't have that to fall back on, that kind of purpose, like you know there's a purpose beyond you and that's bigger than you, that's as big as the Grand Canyon, and yet we play a pivotal role in it. We're all connected. We all have, you know, we all have this magnetic resonance that affects everybody else, and it, they tell two friends and pay it forward, and all of those things are so important. But I didn't need to sit around asking questions anymore about what ifs and whys and why did I hear like these these questions I spent a lot of time wasting pondering, you know, I didn't need to do anymore. And things started just to become way more clear to me after that I was and I felt like uh, leading up to this, I did feel like something was going to happen. I felt like there was a tap on my shoulder occasionally like, Hey, you listening? And I'm like, yeah, I'm listening. What do you want? What do you want? You know, kind of that, that feeling that you get of that there's some higher power, that there's some bigger purpose, that there's, there's a meaning to this big thing. And if you listen closely enough and if you meditate enough, and if you try to understand enough and be compassionate enough and try to work on high vibrations and all these things that you can get closer to it, you know, and, yeah, and after that, like, man, it was one thing after another. I went to the, I met this amazing kid, Ken Gunis, who was hiking the Keystone XL pipeline. We drove and photographed the biggest coal-fired power plants in the United States on the way to the climate march in Washington, D.C., and all that was so serendipitous. And and all of that was answered. Like, I I was, I kept thinking about Washington, D.C., and I also saw, like, the monolith, the, the, the monolith, the Washington Monument, the obelisk, in DC and my vision that I had that day, along with the pyramids and everything. I don't know why. It's also on the dollar and the Illuminati and the eye, right? And so, so I don't know quite why, um, but I remember standing in front of, soon thereafter, and I was like, why do I keep thinking about Washington DC? Why do I, 
Why do I, and all of a sudden my knees buckled. And again, I felt immediately, overwhelmingly, you need to go to Washington, D.C. to the climate march. Answered immediately. I was like, I need to go to Washington, D.C. to the climate march. Never had that kind of clarity before in my life. Watched this Huffington Post interview. Kendall Guinness hiked the Keystone XL pipeline. I picked him up in Port Arthur, brought him back here. He did an interview with New York Times and the Wall Street Journal magazines and my casita. Him and I drove to the, like all this serendipitous stuff just kept happening, right? And right afterwards, I didn't know what happened to me. So I went to one of my sage councils, Amanda Love, Austin, Texas. She owns Hill Austin. She's an amazing, amazing human being, magical, beautiful woman. Said, I go to her, I called her, I said, Amanda, I need to talk to you. Okay, well, why don't you come in next week? I was like, no, I need, you don't understand. I need to talk to you fast. So I go to her offices. She's like, well, I got an appointment at five o'clock, come in at six. So I go to see her and she said, texted me on the way and she goes, I don't know why you're coming to see me today, but when you walk into my office, will you walk in the front door and then walk into my office and say, hey, I'm here, just make yourself known. I was like, sure. Later I found out she didn't trust the guy that she was having this meeting with. And she literally believes that like, he was a danger to her and there was a reason why I showed up out of nowhere that, that night to maybe avoid a bad situation with her and him. So he leaves, I go into her office, we take our shoes off and we're sitting down and I tell Amanda this story and she's just sweet soul sister. She's just smiling the whole time. And she goes, she goes, Woody, sweetheart, you opened your seventh chakra. And I was like, oh, what's a chakra? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I kind of knew what it was because I'd been doing yoga and I'd been, and I was like, and so I started deep dumping in, deep diving into the chakras. Hmm. And I'm like, I freaking opened my seventh chakra. I don't that's, know. That's exactly what happened to yeah. me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And Amanda was just so, it was so awesome because I knew I needed to talk to her. I knew she would have that answer. Like it was as if, as if God and the universal, what, you know, said, go talk to Amanda. She'll tell you what happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so from that point on, like I, I had a, and not to say that everything's been perfect, you guys. I don't want y'all to think that, like, all of a sudden life is beautiful and I mm-hmm. tiptoed through the tulips and everything was grand. Right. No, I still had to work my ass off. I've still been kicked in the nuts a hundred times since then. Things hurt still, but I do know that I'm, I have a more, way more well-defined path. I know that I'm on the right path. I'm seeking the right things. I'm seeking the right knowledge. And I know God's not done using me. And I have plenty of work left to do on this earth. I'm a hard worker. If I could give you guys advice, just keep working hard. Keep creating. You know, keep reaching out to, to people like myself to, for them to tell their stories. Keep doing it. If you want to do a podcast, do it. Yeah. Do it over and 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 over again. You will be successful. You will be successful. If you keep doing it with love in your heart and you do it over and over and over again and you're passionate about it. So find that. Whoever you are out there find your passion follow it don't give up keep doing it over and over and over and over again i learned how to slack line when i was 45 years old as a result of my permaculture design classes the kids that were in there that were your age at the time they taught me how to slack line they brought their slack you can teach an old dog new tricks i'm really good at it now like i'm pretty damn good at slack lining <laughs> i'm 51 years old like that's a little weird but it's true i taught myself how to throw frisbee left-handed 
I love throwing frisbee. Did it right-handed all the time. Like, why was I told when I was a kid I was right-handed? You're not freaking right-handed. You're both-handed. Everyone, every human being, unless you have your hand cut off, you are both-handed. Use both of them, damn it. Stop letting people tell you you're right-handed or left-handed. Stop letting a guitar define that you're right-handed. You're not fucking right-handed. <laughs> you, you are both-handed. And the balance between the two is probably way more important of a pursuit than trying to figure out whether you're better at one or the other. So seek that balance in your life. We sh that's what we need to be seeking with our ecology. It's thrown out of balance. Our ecology is thrown out of whack. We have the capability to put it back into shape if we desire to do it. If we can get our shit together as humans. And, and I think we can. I think we can too. Yeah. You, you heal the earth, you heal yourself. That's my quote. I think it goes the other way too. You grow it, you know it. You know, like follow, you know, follow. There's a North Star for everybody. Follow it. We're all just stardust and light and love. If we chose choose, there's darkness in the world. There's no doubt, but I, I honestly believe you ch people have the. You have the ability to choose light or dark. You know, and people, it's like y'all were talking about with, with acid, like there's a dark side to acid. Yeah, like you feel like you can go there and not come back. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, you know, you got, I heard of those podcasts. I heard, I've like felt that before. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hmm, I need to be, I need to be respectful yeah. of this. Respect. Yeah. yeah. I need to honor what's going on here. Yeah. So yeah, keep seeking. But when you find it, follow it you know follow your paths seek your path until you find it and follow it nurture it you always have to work on it you're never going to be able to lay down if you lay down you're going to turn into food for the trees if that if if god's done with you great turn into food for the trees if, but you'll you know any human being that asks are you done with me <laughs> if you if you look up to the heavens and you say i don't care who you worship what what god you worship if you say are you done with me you'll get an answer back one way or another. It might not be a loud voice, but you'll get an answer back. If you do it honestly and with a pure heart, you will get an answer back. What do you want to do with me? Ask, ask the heavens that question, you know, and figure it out and do it. Follow it, you know, do something special. Go back to Donald Miller. Do you want to be laying on your grave saying, I made a bunch of money you know, what are you going to do with it? You can't take it with you. Or do you want to be laying on your grave saying, man, I told a good story with my life. I think, yeah, story, telling a good story. I told a good story with my life. I'm, I'm telling a good story with my life. I'm proud of that, you know. It's a, yeah. Yeah, tell a good story with your life. If you do that, all the, everything will fall into place. You keep following your passion over and over again and be a pure heart and spirit and be a good human being you know don't be a dick just don't be you know be nice <laughs> <laughs> you have a beautiful mind man thank you yeah Appreciate it. <laughs> this has been a pleasure this is really inspiring yeah Thanks, Sam. well you know what i mean you asked all you got to do sometimes is ask yeah you find some cool people. And I, I wasn't actually expecting you to accept anything like that. Yeah. So. That's why I accepted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
you never know yeah, yeah i mean I, I just love paying it forward i mean especially the y'all's generation and you know there is hope man there's always hope there's never don't ever give up don't ever give up river never gives up obviously yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's been we're talking about my river dog it's been trying to jumping laps and irritating our crew here the whole time Jeez. he's a good boy yeah you've probably never better met her, never bet never met a happier dog than river dog she seems very happy yeah yeah he jumped into my hands one day at the seems happy. the farm to market yeah he's a good boy keeps me company yeah in your videos he just jumps everywhere yeah he hops he's got some hops for sure all right guys thank y'all okay. god thank bless you so much yeah Blessings to everyone. Get out there and make mistakes. Don't be afraid. Seize the day, right? Absolutely. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Oh, uh, one th- one other question I have for you is on your uh, YouTube channel, Earth Riparian. Um, you guys haven't posted in like a couple months, something. Is that still going on? You guys still doing that? Yeah, you think we should? I think so. Yeah, I I think it's a great channel. Andrew Gonzalez, did you hear that? They want us to keep working on Earth Riparian channel. Uh, we are. I've concepted a new series called Earth Heroes. And so, it's, I mean, I kind of enjoyed being in front of the camera, but and I'm decent at it, but I'm way better on the other side of the camera. I'm a better director mm. and storyteller. And, and so, and I've met so many amazing human beings in my life. And I've always, you know, I told one of my good friends, Hugh Fidel, years ago that I wanted to start a magazine called Real People instead of People. Mm. Like just that concept of real people. Yeah. And so this... So this Earth Heroes is a way for us to tell the stories about people that are doing you know, massive reclamation projects, sustainable energy projects, you know, re- renewable, um, renewable energies, renewable, um, you know, non-exhaustive forms of, of uh, capitalism, mm-hmm. you know, anything out of the box. You know, everybody from Elon Musk, like I'd love to interview Elon Musk as an Earth Hero. And look, I know a lot of people think he's Dr. Evil, and I just, look, we got to do something. And I applaud him for... Doing something. Man, yeah. he's doing a lot. He's not just doing something. He's The guy's sleeping three hours a night and sleeping on the factory floors. Probably and, in a cave or something, upside down. He's probably doing a lot of yeah. psychotropics and, and you know microdosing. He might not even need it. He might be so brilliant. He might be beyond that. But I know that's, yeah. you know, I think you get to a point to where you just don't need it anymore. Again, like you guys were talking about, you you see the light and you can move beyond and into a brighter space. And um, yeah, just keep going, man. Let's just honor our systems. It's about systems design, better systems designs. Our, our systems suck. Our our grid design cities suck. All of our roofs should have green roofs on them. There's no reason to to we should again paying the cost if you make a highway and you make this much flooding happen then reduce that flooding by building a system to slow the water down don't just build the freaking highway without resolving the problems that you cause the non-intended consequences there's solutions for those so seek the solutions throughout the system i'm glad you said it sam close the loop that's it close loop design if there's anything by working i've worked with some of the greatest creatives in the United States. I've been so fortunate to work with some of the best artists and greatest creative minds in the United States. I knew when I found permaculture, because of those designers and artists that I've worked with and and built with and made with and created with, 
I knew that we could design our, our way out of this mess we've created. And then when I started seeing results of that happening, demonstrations of that happening, I was like, yeah, <laughs> we can do this. You know, and it's not, it's old technologies combined with new technologies. It's not technocrat, the technology is going to fix everything. No, but technology helps. Data helps. You know, that's, you know, let's crunch the data and fix this shit. Let's place a price on it. Y'all's generation politicians should be, should be rebuilding, should be terraforming, should be designing human habitats that help sequester carbon, that help reduce sediment loads and non-point source pollutants into back into our waterways into our systems like it's a no-brainer it's a honorable pursuit and anybody there's a there's going to be a lot of jobs growth in that area i predict we have to do it we don't have a choice if we expect to have this many humans on this earth and this earth will support this many humans i'm not a, a big eugenics or like i think that there's you know we can support this many humans. I don't know without cheap subsidized fossil fuels if we can't, but we can, the earth systems will support lots of humans. You know, we just need to be a little healthier just to keep them earth systems. Well, and, and, and some of the, you know, the pandemic is just a result of keeping sick people alive. This non fit survive, yeah. right? It's not the strong survive. It's the, <laughs> The weak survive. We've had a lot of weak people surviving for a long time. So if we go back to the laws of evolution, like the strong survive and survival of the fittest and these things, like it's their survival of the unfit. We have a massive survival of the unfit. This pandemic is just a checks and balances for that. It's all it is. It's taking out the weak genes like we talked about with with the deer. You know, there's no there's nobody, there's no keystone species taking out the weak genes of the deer herds. There's, we've been putting off these pandemics and diseases for years, and it's letting unfit, bad genes reproduce. I hate to say it, but <laughs> that's a one way to look at it. But the thing that you know, the human body is so great that I think the human body can heal itself. It can take its, it can change its genome. I think that we can change our our molecular makeup if we, but we have to be eating high vibrating foods and and be living that lifestyle in order to be in a space to do that and, and recharge ourselves with the sun behind a waterfall. <laughs> like who knows? I might've died of a heart attack if that already, if that hadn't happened hmm. that day, like that might've been the thing that added 50 years onto my life. Who knows? Like all I know is it was amazing and it was real. It was tangible and I was not on drugs. Like that, it was an amazing thing. It was magic. I believe in magic in that sense. Things that we can't see. Yeah. You know, lots of stuff like that. Well, thank you, Sam. Appreciate you. you guys for coming out. Yeah, you want to ready for a tour of the... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.